Oh no, what? I don't know what happened to my my notes. Oh, I just I clicked on some wrong. Okay, all that's gonna get cut in it, and it really will. Okay, that's okay. I, I, th I just seriously thought I deleted all my notes. <laughs> Trying to do that Earth, Wind, and Fire yeah. September song. Forty-seven meters down, <laughs> uncaged can't be wrong. Uncaged can't be wrong. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Watsy Party Horse Show, where we're fighting the good fight for the Horror Nation. Party time! Party time! That's a fish song. Hells yeah, it is. Yeah, we're a three-act podcast, folks, released at the beginning of every month. And in each episode, you can expect to hear a comprehensive list of upcoming genre releases, followed by a horror topic of discussion, and finally, an in-depth breakdown of a horror film of our choosing. Folks, this is episode number four, and we're back with another episode positively jam-packed with horror content for all you all friends and listeners. I'm your host, Mr. Watson, podcasting from just outside of Olympia, Washington. My co-host, my fellow orator of repute on this splendid and certainly convivial Midsummer's Eve is... Dave Z, back in the basement in Buffalo and very happy because my poster collection is growing and I'm looking around at it and I'm very happy with it. So. Oh, very good. And you use, what is it, BananaRoad.com? And there was another one you were repping recently with the horror posters, right? Yes, yes. I, I found it. a new, dude, I found a new place. I could get 11 by, not just me, <laughs> anyone listening can get. <laughs> Dave Z can get. <laughs> yeah, just me. Although I did just get a you. good deal because they screwed something up, but that that's another oh. story. But yeah, um, I, I, I tend, I'm more into the 11 by 17s. I started off getting a bunch of, of the big uh, 24 by 36s, uh, yeah. the regular big size. And I, I was kind of running out of room and I was discovering that I wanted more than I really had room for. So I decided to go with a lot of smaller ones, 11 by 17s, because I really want the best covers, uh, mostly from the 80s. Just it may, I, might, I may not even love the movie. I just think it's a kick-ass cover. So I want all my favorite covers lining my walls. So I I went into the 11 by 17 mode and now I have, you know, more cool stuff to look at. Now the deal is most of the time you go on Amazon or you go on eBay, an 11 by 17 is usually going for like $10 or more. Now I've been in this game for a year and I found this place called moviepostershop.com. Okay. And they are selling theirs it, it says half off original price, but this has been going on for like a month now. So I don't know if this is always a special they run, but I've been taking advantage of it. But bottom line is that I pay $5 for these 11 by 17s. What? Yeah. So I, I got like six or seven at once and then I paid for the shipping, which was like $8. But I mean, it was such a deal. I, I couldn't refuse it. And then there was a problem with a couple because they're a really good site, but you have to zoom in on the posters because if there's any default a lot of these companies i know this is going into long-windedness but <laughs> you asked i'm answering um <laughs> um the deal is this a lot of these things are reprints from the originals so 
How they get their hands on the originals, I don't know. But sometimes the originals have creases in them. You know, that's just the way it is. So what they do is they send the originals to whoever. I don't know how the process works. But the reprints will actually have the same creases that the originals have. And you don't know that just by looking at a picture. You kind of got to zoom in to see the details. So How about that? Okay. Yes. So I got two that had these creases in them. And I called and I complained and... They said, oh, listen, they said, zoom in and look, they're exactly as they are on the site. And I I did, and I go, you know what, you're right, I didn't think about that. Everything's fine. And I told them, listen, I can't display these things. I'm I'm too nitpicky about it. Could you send me two others, different titles? And they said, yeah, fine. So they sent me, I gave them two other titles. They sent them to me, and one of the, they sent me an 11 by 17, and the other one they sent me, no shit, was a 27 by 40. A giant one. Whoa. For free. Just because, yeah, man, I got a big 27. And I thought when I first got it that it was a a regular 24 by 36. But I got it and I I bought a frame and I brought home. I'm like, wait, this is too big. I go, they sent me a 27 (laughs) by 40. Are you kidding me? So I got a big Hellraiser pinhead thing. As soon as you come into my basement, 27 by 40. Big, beautiful thing. And between me and you. I still ended up hanging up those other ones with the with the little crease marks and they don't look. Bad. Oh, okay. I won't tell anybody, Dave Z. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of nostalgic that they have a, some in a way in a weird way. It's kind of I don't know. It's kind of like a throwback that you can see some of the creases in the older title posters. So, yeah. You know. Oh, I, I never even thought of that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So I don't care. It's not like I want they're the. I'll, I'll put a pictures on the on on their group page so people can see for themselves. They're oh, please really do. Not bad. I will. They're really not bad. It's just that I am nitpicky about it. I've been collecting. I'm really into the artwork of these old VHS covers, and I was like, no. But now, now that I've put them up, I'm like, you know what? They're fine. So, yeah, I'm really happy with what I got going in here right now. Oh, that, that sounds great. I you know I have this psychological defect in myself where no matter where I move. I never fully unpack and I do not hang things on the walls except for in the living room. And so this is the first place where I am, this house that my son and I have here, where I've hung things on the walls, but it still looks incomplete. It still looks like somebody started living here a month ago. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, no, everything's unpacked, but I mean, there's certain areas you're like, okay, how come there are only pictures on this part of the wall and this part, but not this part? And it's like me going, yeah, so I can leave at any point. It's it, Dave Z, party people, it's my problems with commitment, I think. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if we're getting deep psychologically, I think that's what, what, what it stems from. And ask any ex I have, they'll, they'll probably uh, sadly, <laughs> sadly confirm this. Uh, Dave Z, plug that website one more time. You caught me drinking. Yeah. Oh, it's, sorry. Um, <laughs> water, not drinking, drinking. Yeah, um, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's moviepostershop.com. Moviepostershop.com. Okay, duly yeah. noted, duly noted. So something that I think, Dave Z, that our listeners, the party people should be listening and should note is that it is our birthday month as we record here at the beginning of August. Indeed. My birthday is a couple weeks away on the 17th, but you just celebrated your birthday on the 2nd. You and the family do anything special or interesting? Um... <laughs> kind of an interesting day because I worked. It was a Friday. I, I got out of work. I came home. My daughter she had been waiting over a week to get her hair done. She got this whole expensive hair done thing. And they were waiting for this woman to contact them. So sadly, by the time I got home from work, this is an all-day event. The woman happened to call that morning. So my wife and my daughter went and they were getting her hair done. My daughter was getting her hair done from the afternoon until almost when I go to bed. So Wow. But it happened to work out that they did have about an hour and a half to kill. 
And they went and they got me an ice cream cake and they came home and they, they sang happy birthday to me. And, uh, you know, they, I didn't want any presents. So I, my, my daughter wrote something. <laughs> you know what my daughter did? She wrote a story about our cats. Um, just some stories she made up because I always push her to become, to, to, to continue with this writing thing. She was writing for a oh. while. Frankie, is he a little writer? Listen. She's a little writer. She was doing so good for a while. She was doing this um, fan fiction for this thing that she's into. But yeah. she got in trouble and she got her phone taken away and she's not allowed to go on that site <laughs> anymore. So she was not writing anymore. And I was sad about that part because oh. the girl is talented. And once upon a time, I was talented in the writing department and I passed it on to her and I want to see her flourish. So this girl wrote a story for me. You know, and she said here, and she handed me this story. At first, she handed it to me. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was going to be some, you know, thank you, Dad, for taking me during the tough times and doing this because the girl's been through some some stuff. And you know, I yeah. thought it was going to be this long, emotional thing, which I would have been thrilled with as well. But she gave me something like that last year. But she handed me this piece of paper, and I started reading it, and it's this page-and-a-half story just, you know, from her own mind uh, about the cats encountering a bee and, you know, just just – but – very well written. You, uh, Aww, everything. I um, love it. Yeah, and it, it really made me happy because she knows that I want her to focus on writing. So, so she gave nice. me that. Yeah, so I got that, and and I got the you know I got the cake, and I got the love from the you know the, the wife and the daughter, and they hung out with me for like an hour, and uh, <laughs> then they went back out, and that was it. You know. I, oh man, I saw you. I saw you, uh, folks. Uh, Dave Z posted a picture on the social media of him stabbing violently stabbing the cake or about you're about to stab it. I like I rather liked that picture. It was funny because they just happened to hand me that and they didn't have a good enough knife because <laughs> it was an ice cream cake. They're hard at first. And the, oh, uh, ice cream cake's the way to go. Oh, I uh, love yeah. it. Yeah. And my time is limited. So they said, well, we got to we, we got to cut the cake now. We're here. And, you know, my wife's got to pull it out. We got the whole, you know, thing. So pull out the knife, not. You know, no, nothing. Yeah. Else. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter was in the room. Come on. Um, yeah, so, indeed. <laughs> so I go, we got to do it now. I go, well, you got to get a big knife to do it. So they just happened to have this big knife. And I was like, yeah, put it in there. I made it. Fit. And here's the crazy thing. I just happened to put on this shirt, which I, I have a whole bunch of T-shirts. I never wear this T-shirt. I just happened to wear it, not knowing any of this was going to happen. Because I just got home from work like an hour before. And if you look at the picture, it looks as if I'm stabbing the cake and the cake is bleeding in it, and it splashed blood on my shirt. Oh, okay. And nobody noticed it. Nobody noticed it. I noticed it when I posted. I told my wife, I go, look at that. It looks like I stabbed the cake and it bled. Not one person commented on that. And I was like, wow, no one picked up on it. But I thought- Oh, it was, I, I missed it too. Yeah, it was a cool effect that wasn't planned at all. But if go back and look at it, and you'll see it. It looks like, you know- Nice, nice. Oh, yeah. I like that. No, I'm yeah. like you, man. I, I don't really like the the uh, as much getting presents for my birthday. Like, I don't even I don't know how to g give presents very well, and I certainly don't know how to receive them. I'm a quality time type guy, so for my birthday every year, we're we're well this year we're for my birthday on this on the 17th. Well, day before my birthday, my mom, my son, and my two brothers and I are going kayaking and paddleboarding. Wow. And then on the 17th, yeah, 17th proper, my son and I are going to do what we do every single year. It's a ritual for us. We go up to Mount Rainier, which is about like an hour and a half from where I live. And we do some of our favorite hikes. They're pretty intense hikes too, folks. And uh, we take nature photos all day, you know, and just have a blast sun up to sundown hiking. It's my favorite thing in the world. And I'm just like, no, don't get me presents. You can buy me whiskey. But other than that, like, I just don't get me presents. It's, uh, we're, let's go have an experience. And so, yeah, that's... That's what's up. And folks, I hope you have an experience, a nice quality time experience on this fourth episode of the Watsy Party Horror Show. So let's talk about what we got in store for all you all friends and listeners. First, we got a couple super quick emails to read. Both are really short. Then 
In the party favors segment of the show, act number one, Dave Z will lead us through a list of the August 2019 horror releases. Next, in the horror deep dive segment of the show, act number two, Dave Z and I are each going to provide you all with a list of our top five least favorite horror movie cliches. Finally, in the Showtime segment of the party, act number three, Dave Z and I will give you a spoiler-free review of We Are Still Here 2015. After all that, we'll pick our film for the next episode, give our plugs, bid you all a fond farewell. The party will close its doors, but if you've all seen, any who have seen We Are Still Here and going to want to hear a spoiler-filled discussion of that film, then please stay for the after party where we go all out. Well, all right then, folks. Let's get into this email we received from our friend and listener, a musical artist who goes by the name, and I hope I'm saying this right, it's either Pavo Music or Pavo Music. Dave Z, I think uh, he mentions you. He, he writes, what's going on? Just wanted to congratulate you two on the success of the new show. I believe I heard in past episodes that hip hop may be a genre you both listen to. I recently released a new project that Dave Z helped name. Below is a link and two promo codes to get a free copy. Hope you like it. If it's not your style no t- uh, or taste, no harm, no foul. I hope you nothing but success for the both of you. Peace. Pavo music or Pavo music. Now, first off, uh, Pavo music or Pavo music. Gosh, I, I, I there's two ways. Uh, Dave Z, uh, P A A V O. So I'm wanting to instinctively say Pavo, but I don't know. Pavo is sounding good to me too. I don't know. But th- thank you uh, for taking the time to write us, my friend. And we certainly hope nothing but success for you as well, homie. And yes, we are both fans. Dave Z and I are both fans of the rippity raps. I've been known to lay down my fair share of rhymes here and there myself. Dave Z, I'm curious. You helped name his project. Is any of this ringing a bell? Uh, wow. No, I know I know who this person is and I recognize yes. the name absolutely and I'm I'm flattered, but as usual my memory sucks. So <laughs> maybe it'll come back to me or maybe Death is the best keeper of secrets is the name of the album. Death is the best keeper of secrets. Wow, I said that, that once. Did you? Okay. Yeah. See, that's what I'm I don't know if he told me about this or not, and, and if you did, I apologize that that, that you did, and I, I forgot, but I, I forget everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, wow! Is it? I, I I said that on an exploding head show, and it, oh, what was oh. it about? I can't remember, but man, that was that was one of my better lines. Death is the best keeper of secrets. Wow, and and here's why that's cool because what he did was uh, I, I listened to the entire album the other night while I was on Bandcamp while I was at the gym. And first off, I dig what he's doing. It's very interesting. Very ja- a lot of these instrumentals are very jazzy. Like you hear a lot of you know like percussion wafting throughout, and some like almost soulful horns and like stand up bass. But then he's he's got these dark lyrics and his delivery smooth. But in each one of the songs, there's a, like a clip from a movie or a TV show I, 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 that where where they're saying death is the best keeper of secrets, and it starts out every song, and it's really cool. So, yeah, you'll want to go into the Watsy email, Dave Z, and get one of those promo codes to get the record, dude. Absolutely. And uh, you know what? I, I looked him up on the Exploding Ed's email. I knew that I'd spoken to him before. Okay. And it was from a movie. And I'll tell you, I'll just read this quick. I remember a while back, Dave mentioned a really cool movie quote from a Giallo film. I believe oh. it was from House by the Cemetery. Death is the best keeper of secrets. If he happens to remember and could let me know which movie it was, that would be great. Ah. And I do not know if I replied to that one or not, because I probably didn't remember. Or I don't know, and it's unlike me not to reply anyway, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, either way, yeah, it was from something, uh, maybe Bay of Blood. So I didn't coin the phrase, but someone did say it in the movie, and it struck me as, as a good... Because he was talking about, you know, when someone is murdered and they know a secret... And they're the only yeah. one that knows the secret. That's that's what they're saying in, 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 in you know in that vernacular. Death is the best keeper of secrets. And 
I dig that. Oh, I like yeah. yeah. I like that. There's a uh, another rapper named Sadistic who's one of my favorites. He has a, a lyric that goes, two can keep a secret if one of them is dead." And I always ah. I always like that. And so, yeah, well, okay, well, folks, if you check out the show notes for this episode, you'll find a link to Pavo or Pavo Music's, sorry, homie, Pavo Music's uh, Bandcamp page where you can check out his music. I know we have a lot of music enthusiasts in the party here, so give that a go. Also, he has a podcast he does called Soul by the Pound. He and his co-host, Charlie, talk about current events, films, TV, and they discuss a classic hip-hop album every week. And Dave, check this out. On their latest episode as we record right now, which is episode 331, yeah, they've been in the game for, in the game for a minute, he starts out by saying, what's up, party? Party people right before watching some Rocky Horror. So coincidence? I think not. <laughs> yeah, <nice. laughs> so Dave, uh, yeah. So thank you, Pavo Music. Uh, so Dave, I received a message last night on the Horror Corridor. Well, it wasn't it, it was last night as I was writing these notes. It was actually uh, late last week, so a few days ago. On the Horror Corridor email account at hcmrwatson at gmail.com, it reads. Mr. Watson, longtime listener and lurker Tommy B here. I first heard of you, Watson, when Horror Movie Podcast shouted you out a couple times forever ago. And even though the corridor days are coming to an end, I'm happy to count myself among the party people as a proud Watsy member. And from here, Tommy B has a lot of things to say about the episode of Horror Corridor I did on a Serbian film 2010, which I am incredibly proud of, by the way. But I'm not going to read any of that here on this show because it goes into Serbian politics and all the stuff I covered on that episode. Great email. So well written and thought out. This guy's very smart commas in all the right places. And I always respect that. But, but then he turns his attention to this podcast by writing. I swear to God, I'm not out here trying to jock the Watsy party style, but I'm itching to get a movie podcast going with a buddy of mine who was also named Dave. And since Dave Z and you have been in the game for a while, what advice would you give to someone who's ready to start their own show? Thanks, guys. Long live the Watsy party. Can't wait for the next episode. Your friend Tommy B. P.S. Is it wrong for me to say that I might prefer this podcast to both of your other main shows? (laughs) 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 That's fantastic. I, I like that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, well, thank you, Tommy B. Dave Z, what say you, sir? What quick tips would you offer to a beginning podcaster, someone who's about to get started on that road? I'll tell you what. First and foremost, don't be nervous and don't put anything into your body to, to help steady the nerves because then you're not really being yourself. I learned this the hard way. If I listen to my early Banana Laser episodes, they were good and I had oh, yeah. fun and me and Matt had a natural chemistry and that all worked, but... And I'm not saying I'm okay. I'll say that I'm a little better now. I'm just, I I hate, I really don't like to compliment myself or give myself credit. It's just, it makes me uncomfortable. But I I can tell you this, if you listen to me then and you listen to me now, I think I've, I've grown a fair amount. Oh, absolutely, Dave. I mean, if I may just step in for a second, I mean, we, we all start somewhere and I think there are people who start, you know, on different planes of the of the, or, you know, different parts of the spectrum of being charismatic or not. And I think you already started high. And as you've, you know, grown in comfort with this, and like you're talking about, maybe not using certain substances or liquids or anything like that, you know, you just, you just get better and better with the practice. And I mean, you're a veteran at this point and you were new to it then. Of course you, of course you've grown. Yeah. So yeah. Embrace that, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm just never good at I don't know. I don't like to compliment myself or give myself. Yeah. Well, that's why I stepped back. in. Thank you. That's well, why I stepped in to do it for you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. The, the, the thing is, I always had the passion and I always had the energy and that's what you need. You got to believe that you're going to be great at it. And that's and that, that's awesome. But everything else, I just kind of learned from listening to other podcasts. I'm an avid listener and I just follow. I, I don't listen to someone and try to ape his style. I can tell you that. But I can tell you that things sink in and I listen to the way that some people talk that I that I'm impressed with and somehow that it works 
that works its way into my delivery of lines. And I don't know, that's, but that's just the beginning. Just don't be nervous, be yourself. Cause if you try to be something that you're not, it's not going to work. And then you're going to feel you got to live up to it. Just yep. forget the nerves, just chill out, relax. And just most importantly, re- you have to relax, but you can't relax too much that you ever forget that the mics are on. That's a pet peeve I have with a lot of other shows where um, I think to myself, don't you realize that people are listening to this for entertainment? I mean, anybody can converse. Watson and I could sit here and talk on Skype as friends just fine and maybe even talk the same movies and the same topics, but it wouldn't be the same as being on a show. You listen to some shows and it's almost as if they say, as if nothing would change if the mics were on or the mics were off. You have to keep in mind that an audience is listening and how are you going to keep them engaged? That's what you have to do, but don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just remember that there's an audience, but don't let that overwhelm you. And I guess that's the best I got right now without saying too much. Just just go with the flow, but remember there's an audience too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Tommy B that, that right there is the core of it. And uh, I've got a few bullet points here for you. These are, I would take what Dave Z said to be the core start there. And these are just a few technical things that I would just offer anybody who's just starting out. Hey, should I podcast? Well, okay, sure. Why not? But do these things. I think these things would make a show, an existing show better or a new show. If you go into it, knowing this, it, it'll help you. So number one, I hear my bullet points. Number one, always introduce yourself at the start of every show. Like there is a, like Dave Z's talking, there's a relational value that you've got to establish with your audience and the responsibility is all yours to get that going. If I'm listening to a show and they don't say who they are, I turn that show right off. Like I don't, if I don't know who's speaking, there's no relationship there. So be sure to introduce yourself every show, no matter what. Don't assume that people should just know who you are. Do assume though that you've got first time listeners every episode. So introduce yourself always. Number two. When you speak into your microphone, get right on up in there, my G. That's how you get the best sound your mic can offer. I'm never more than like three to five inches from the mic when I'm talking. And I would suggest the same to anybody to keep close to it. You know, I know some people who, you know, maybe sit like like across the room from their mic, but you're, you're kind of wasting money because you're going to get that sound of empty space and you, the noise, the room echo. And that's going to be a no from me, dog. It, it's you, you got to get the most of, out of your mic. So, you know, be, be close up to it. Uh, number three, don't be afraid to do some editing. Like you don't have to go overboard. You don't got to get fancy with it. But in my opinion, editing is what separates the the men from the boys, so to speak. The Agreed. the girls from the ladies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Thank thank you. You know, take out the awkward pauses. Take out the coughing and sneezing. I was just telling Dave Z while we were party planning last Watsy episode. I was having my legit one of my worst allergy days of the year, sniffling, clearing my throat the entire recording time. But none of that made it into the show. No one wants to hear that. They shouldn't have to. That's gross. Basic editing can make a world of difference. Number four, be well aware of your audio levels. Now, this one is has become important to me very recently because, the listen, the last thing your listeners should have to worry about is if something's going to blow their eardrums out or not. I just started listening to a few new podcasts, and two of them have totally lost my trust because of audio volume issues. One of them bleeps out their swear words, which is fine, but their bleep noise is literally five times louder than their normal speaking levels. It hit me while I was working. I got my headphones on. I work with my hands and I wasn't even prepared. The beep hit and I, I was. it hurt. I was like, whoa, that was not good. And then later on it happened again. 
and it was still excruciating, even though I had the show turned down so low that I could barely hear the host talk and the sound still hurt my ears. That cost them a subscriber. And I even was digging the way they were reviewing the films. And I get the mistakes happen. No producer's perfect, but this was just next level. And on another show, one of the hosts does this scream thing at the end of nearly every one of their episodes, like toward the tail end of it. And it's so much louder than everything else. It blow it blew my ears out on like three different episodes. I'm and I'm literally just like, what the f Hey, do you hear that beep? Yeah, that's that's how it's done, folks. <laughs> also, <laughs> one one of the shows, uh, one of these two shows plays music and trailers between segments, and they're just so much louder than everything else. I can't listen to these shows anymore. Don't be that host, Tommy B. Don't cause your audience to have to be afraid of your audio. In my software, I look at how loudly Dave's and my vocals register on the digital mixer, and I adjust everything to that. Our voices right now will be the absolute loudest thing you hear on the show. So that's key. Uh, and then the last thing I have to say uh, has to do with spoilers. If you're like our buddies from, say, the, oh, let's go Dark Discussions podcast. My homie's there whose show revolves around a full spoiler-filled discussion of the film. Awesome. This ain't for you. But if you give spoiler-free reviews, make damn sure you adhere to that. Do not, and I mean this, do not simply say a spoiler alert and then just launch into spoilers. Your listeners are trusting that oh. you've got their backs. So give them some real warning before you blab too much or... Do what we do here on the Watsy Party and what I do on Horror Corridor. Put spoilers after the show. That way your audience doesn't have to skip around the episode wondering what's going on. Or like, you know, what you guys used to do on Exploding Heads where you'd have the spoiler-free section and then the spoiler section. It makes it clean for the listeners. And that's what you want to do. If I'm having to, if somebody's telling me, oh, there are going to be spoilers for the next uh, few minutes, so just skip forward. I, I work with my hands. I can't always do that. So I got to turn it off and then skip way forward. And don't, don't make your listener go through that. Like, it, they're, they're there to try you out. And so if you're making them do a bunch of extra work, they don't have to be there unless you are that damn good to where they'll do whatever you want. But a few of us are everybody. All of us podcasters think we're the best at whatever we're doing. Maybe only a few of us are. But like, yeah, don't don't make your listener go through that. So uh, that's that's what I'm talking about. That's all I got. Much of what I'm talking about here has to do with building a trusting relationship with your listener. And the best shows I know are the ones that do that. So so ends my monologue. Good luck, Tommy B. Keep us updated, my man, with your endeavors, yes. brother. Yes, and thank you for the compliments. And let me just piggyback real quick off of that. I, Do it. I have to just say, that is why I tell people not to put trailers. I, this is something that I'm going to agree to disagree with many of my friends uh, in, in the horror podcast community that, that, that run their shows. I do not like trailers, even if it, not, not because of the reason of being spoiled. I don't want to hear trailers before the movie review. Number one, to me, trailers are meant to be seen and not heard. Number two, yeah. the percentage of people on podcasts that get the volume right is like 5%. Oh, I, if that, yeah. It is terrible. I cannot stand listening to a podcast and the guys are talking and the girls, whatever. Regular, everything goes one volume. Then they break and then a trailer comes on or something else and it's 10 times louder than the rest of the show or 10 times Ugh. lower. I appreciate the effort of putting cool things into your show, but if you can't do it and have it be the same volume and not have people reaching to lower it, because it's like he said, it's like Watson said, some people are working. They can't reach for their, they can't lower the volume for five seconds. They can't do this and they, or they can't pause because a spoiler's coming and that's another reason. Just... Just don't do it. But yeah, you got to yep. edit. Not You don't have to go crazy, but just edit the stuff out that you say you're going to edit. There's nothing that bothers me more than I listen to a podcast and someone says, I'll edit that out. And they didn't edit it out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm not one to I know talk. that about you. Oh, 
and I'm not one to talk because I, I have never edited a thing in my life because I do not possess the patience to learn. And I just don't have that in my personality. I'm not very patient when it comes to learning things that are meticulous unless you're paying me. So I, <laughs> I just can't do it. But I'll leave it at that. <laughs> no, I feel that. Yeah, I, I got you. No, the editing's my favorite part, honestly. I, I love it's the it's the notes. It's extrapolating the themes and writing that all down that stre- like stress me out a little bit. Like when I was doing that Serbian film uh, podcast or uh, episode on Horror Corridor, the last episode. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. I, I was researching all this stuff and the research is fun and then I had to write it all down. I was like, oh, I, I want to skip to the part where I'm editing what I recorded. But <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, Tommy B, hopefully that helps. And if you're, you know, you're listening now, I, uh, Jerry Herring had a, a podcast thread recently on just things that, what, what do you want? Like, you know, what, what things you either don't like about podcasts or want to see podcasts do better. And I wrote some kind of bastardization of what I said here today. And, you know, and people were saying what, I don't know if you saw that thread, Dave Z, but I, yeah, I, 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 I was in it. If you can, if you oh, see mine, read mine. <laughs> oh, okay. Shoot. Yeah. Oh, I don't have it in front of me, but That's yeah. Okay, if you, if you, yeah. But anyways, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. So thank you, Tommy B. And if anybody's listening out there, yeah, I had some people commentating on at least my part of the thread. I think I missed yours or if I didn't, I, maybe I was drinking that day. Hopefully not that. And, and taking, going back to what you said first, before we go into party favors. Yeah. My first nine episodes of Horror Corridor, I would drink heavily each and every one of them because I, it relaxed me. It was fun. It was this atmosphere that I thought was pleasant at the time. But now I kind of look back at those first nine episodes, sort of like, oh man, like you should have just done what you do now and don't drink while you podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel, I feel more alert when I'm like this and just sipping on some water. So yeah. There, any, anyways, uh, Tommy, we hope that helps anybody listening. If you're like, oh, you know what? I don't introduce myself in my podcast. I'll start. Hey, never too late. We all start somewhere. We all get hopefully better as time goes on progressing. It's, it's about progression, not perfection. So I think that that ends my monologue there. Dave Z, we got some party favors we got to get to now, don't we? Yeah, yeah, bring out the butler. It is now time for the What Z Party Horror Show Party Favors segment to commence. My friends, as I sit here now, my body simply cannot stop shaking. Have I drunk too much caffeine, maybe? Might the room in which I'm recording be too cold, perhaps? Am I possibly possessed by the Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off? Am I detoxing off alcohol again? The answer to that is a resounding no. Folks, as I sit here right now in this room, I am shaking out of anticipation for all these dandy party favors that Dave Z's got for us right now. Now, folks, before Dave Z takes us into the August 2019 releases, we're first going to do a callback to episode three and give you all some quick, few sentence long mini reviews of any of the July 2019 movies that we mentioned in the party favor segment of the last episode. So I happen to know Dave Z saw one film and I happen to see that film as well, but I did see one other one. So I will start us off Dave Z if that's okay. The first one I saw of our two was Headcount, which got its physical release on July 16th, 2019. This is the one about a shape-shifting creature who stalks a group of partying teens out in the middle of the California desert after one of them reads a mysterious chant on the internet that summons this creature. So I'll just say this, this is a damn good little movie, folks. The goal of these smaller indie films is to make the most of what you've got, right? And I think the filmmakers did just that here. This story appears at first to have that basic and then there were none narrative, which sees people being picked off one by one. 
But this script goes just a little farther and stands a little taller than that, which elevates the premise to the next level. I think you party people should check out this film before the summer ends. I'm at a 7.75 out of 10 on it, and I'd like to shout out Dustin Baker's monthly film review write-up for convincing me to give this movie a go. Folks, that's Headcount 2019. The other July film that I caught, that both Dave Z and I caught, was Ari Aster's sophomore effort, Midsommar. And folks, we'll be sure to be incredibly careful in our mini-review here, so worry not that we'll divulge any unwanted information. The synopsis goes as follows, straight from Google. With their relationship in trouble, a young American couple travel to a fabled Swedish midsummer festival where a seemingly pastoral paradise transforms into a sinister, dread-soaked nightmare as the locals reveal their terrifying agenda. So, Dave Z, what do you think? And I'll, I'll just, I have a, just a couple thoughts here. So, th th this film, I think, will divide more people than even Hereditary did because I'm not certain how much mainstream appeal this movie has within it. I can see a certain type of horror fan adoring this film, and I can see why others just wouldn't. It's slow moving, it's deliberate, it's filled with dread, it's a story about loss and letting go, it's about family and acceptance, and it's a film you just need to see for yourself. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm glad you saw it, Davesy, so give us your mini-review, sir. Is, is Ari Aster two for two in your book? Absolutely, he's two for two, and yeah. I, I, dude, I think that this is going to be less polarizing amongst... Oh, okay. Amongst the horror crowd. Now, I'm not saying amongst, you know, average Joe that's seeing whatever horror movies out that weekend. No, that's that's different. That We know this isn't for everybody. We we kind of had a feeling based on Hereditary, the, the kind of work that this guy's going to do. So, yeah. Um, I haven't heard that much hate on it yet. Uh, like, Hereditary seemed to have more flack. This it did. does not. And I think there's more for the casual fan in this. And there's also the... Really? Yeah, well... But the story is simple. There's, there's, that's there's, true. There's gore. Uh, yeah, there is. <laughs> and there's that aspect of um, trippiness going on, and that, that that may appeal to some people. I, I realized something today. This is today is uh, Monday. I saw the movie Tuesday, and I was listening to a podcast today. I was listening to um, in, in in the Mike of Madness. I was listening to our, our, our friends over there, and okay. they were breaking it down. It was the first one I've listened to because it was the, the freshest one that's popped up on my uh, on my podcast app. A, a lot popped up, you know, like a month ago when it first dropped. Oh, yeah. And I hadn't seen it yet, so I wasn't listening. So I, I eventually I erased them. I go by. I'm like, well, I was going to actually wait until Blu-ray. But because of something I said earlier, I didn't say it earlier, but it was asked earlier about pet peeves. I waited till now to say it. People kept freaking spoiling things about this movie on their show, even when it wasn't even the movie they were reviewing. Because everyone has <laughs> seen the movie. That is a pet peeve. I, I tune in to hear a review of freaking, um, you know, Critters, and in, in the first 20 minutes, they start talking, have you seen anything lately? Yeah, Midsommar. Oh, oh yeah, can you believe that this happened? And maybe she was really this the whole time, and this and that and everything. I'm oh. like, Stop. Stop. What are you doing? I got so mad. I even listened to a podcast and I almost want to call him out by name because it made me so angry, but I won't. But I okay. won't. But I'm not going to start a war. <laughs> but I was very angry because his words were, oh, well, I'm going to talk about it because it's been out a week already. Everyone's had a what? week to see it. So, yeah, I'm just going to say what I want to say. That's basically wow. the way he put it. Like, the hell with them. I'm going to say it. And he started talking about it. I shut it down. I How said, you know what? that? I will not listen to the show anymore. I was so mad about that. And I, nothing seriously got given away. But And another thing I can't stand is when somebody says, oh, well, that was in the trailer, so it's okay to say it. Well, 
I understand to a degree where you're coming from, but more and more people sure. are, are are like us now, and they're not watching yeah. trailers. So maybe that is spoiler to them. But I'm not trying to be ultra sensitive. Well, no, no, but it goes back to the trust of the listeners, and that's where I that's where I keep my head with this type of stuff. Like, I, people tune into the show to hear it. We're, like, we're going to talk about we are still here tonight, and when we do, we're not going to give you spoilers for for Hereditary or spoilers for Critters or whatever. You know, we're going to stick to what we said we're going to do, and I think we want our listeners to be able to trust us that, okay, even though I haven't, maybe, I you, ha- you haven't seen We Are Still Here, and when you get to our spoiler-free discussion, you can rest easy knowing they're just going to talk themes. They're they're not going to give anything away. I can still use I can use this review as my gauge to see if I want to see this, and then go to the after party after it to hear what's up. And so it's just about listener trust. And I, I think people take that for granted. And you know, so yeah, oh. I, I'm glad you take it seriously, and I know you do. You always have, and so do I. So yeah, and that's a shame though about it. It's, it's been out for a week already. So. Yeah, like yeah. so, so we can just talk whatever we want. So I mean, we're we're being vague. We're not, we're, yeah, with this just little mini review here of Midsommar. But uh, I didn't say my rating, but I I I forgot to do that. I I was I'm at a nine out of ten on the movie, Dave Z. Wow, and so am I. And oh, but here's the weird thing. Today, as I'm listening to In the Mic of Madness, and I'm starting to think more about the film. Uh huh. Um, I I found myself thinking a lot about the movie when I wasn't listening to the show. I was just like. I kept thinking about it and that doesn't always happen. A lot of times I watch a movie and I can't stop thinking about it the next day, but a week's gone by. And after I listened to that and yeah, obviously they, they, you know, they sparked that in my brain, but I kept thinking about this and that other aspects of the film. And I was like, wow, man, I really like this film even more than I thought because when I left the theater, yep. I still loved it. But I said, the same thing I'm going to say about uh, Jordan Peele. And I said this to my wife. I said, I said, Ari Aster and Jordan Peele, two directors whose first movie hit it out of the park and their second movie was great too, just not exactly on the par of the first movie. And that's okay. But Dave Z, we are, uh, we are of the same mind right there. I love that you're saying that, but I, and we're going to be of the same mind with what you're about to say, what I sense you're about to say to you. Keep, keep it, keep it up, buddy. Well, but as I'm listening to this thing and I'm thinking about Midsommar, I think that I like it equally. Oh, with, how about that? Okay. I didn't predict you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I think I, the more I think about it, the more I'm really enjoying it. And I'm like, I really want to watch that again. I, I you know, when oh, it yeah. comes to blue, I, I will, of course, but it's weird. Like, I didn't think a whole lot about um, Hereditary. I, I really enjoyed it. But, I don't know. Something about the setting of Midsommar and how the majority of it takes place in the day and how it's so different. And Yeah. I don't know. Just something. It may be more my type of movie. I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to watch them both back to back or in the same week when it drops and, and mm-hmm. really figure out how I feel about this movie before year's end. So by the time year's end comes and if we're, if we do a year end show, uh, everything's crazy in podcasting right now. I don't know what's going to happen with my podcasting future, but that's another story. So if, there, <laughs> oh, no. if, if we have a year end show and we do a top something of 2019, this movie could be anywhere from an eight and a half to a nine and a half. I'm going to, just going to just right now say based Same here. on one view, it's a nine and I got to hold off, but Man, yep. I really like it, and I venture to say I like it more than us. But again, I have to watch that one again. But I don't know. But uh, bottom See, that's line, just it, Dave. Movies. Yeah, they, they're they're tied for number my number one right now, both at a nine. And 
It was like walking out of Midsummer. This, uh, you know, when, when I saw it, and I, I was blessed enough. To, I, I had this random early day at work and uh, off work, and I was just like, man, I need to kill some time. I went to the the theater, kind of by where I was working, and was like, all right, let's go see Midsummer. And I was alone in the theater. I caught I caught the screening completely by myself. It was great. It's just me sitting in there. Wow. It was awesome. Yeah, I was. I really, I really enjoyed that. And so I could go. I could react loudly and just be like, "Oh!" And yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so and there were some, there were some scenes, folks, where you you'll get some reactions. But yeah, cool that we're both at a nine out of ten. And but when I walked out, I was I was probably at an eight. But the movie did not leave me alone, Dave. I, I was mm. sitting there thinking about it the whole time. You know, I like when I was you know the week later. You know, days later, just going, man, this movie stuck with me. Did I like it? I know I did, but did I like it more than I think I did? And yeah, so I'm, I'm feeling yeah. So, uh, okay, we're both at a nine out of ten, folks. That's Midsummer 2019. So that does it for our mini review recaps. Dave Z, would you be a doll and hand us some party favors, my man? Yes, but very quickly. Oh, head count. Me. Head count. Let me oh. jump in. Let me jump in because do you remember what we said about head count when we discussed it? Uh, something no? about the cover. We 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 talked about how the cover looked. You know, I don't remember exactly what it's we okay. said. I, just, I don't either. I was hoping you did. I want to see what our percentage is. Like, if what we thought about it is what came to fruition with, uh, upon your viewing. That's I all. believe I was I was saying that I think we were saying it was a wait and Z, but okay. I was saying I was going to watch it. And then when Dustin Baker. I don't get to say my first name very often, and plus nobody in my yeah. life even calls me by my first name. It's kind of weird to say Dusty. I think he also goes by Dusty Baker, but yeah, with a fellow who's on the Facebook group pages, everybody, Dusty Baker, once a month you'll see his just kind of monthly quick mini reviews of the month the monthly horror releases, and he rated this like an 8 out of 10, and I was like, what? I don't... Okay, all right, let's 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 check this out. And I was glad I saw that, so yep, head count. So it, I think we said a wait and Z, and I, I, I Z'd... <laughs> okay. I saw, <laughs> I saw. <laughs> that Dusty Baker like it liked it. So yeah, that, that's that's good right there. So yeah, let's let's get those uh, party favors going, my man. Okay, here we go. We have thirteen party favors. Lucky thirteen. Ooh. Some are really small. Some are really big. But there are thirteen movies I'm going to mention. So everyone, get ready. Uh, August sixth, our first movie coming to DVD and VOD. It's called Night Sitter or the night sitter to be precise. A con artist poses as a babysitter to steal from a wealthy occult enthusiast. One of the kids she's sitting unwittingly summons a trio of witches known as the Three Mothers. What? Oh. The Three Mothers? Wow, wow, that's I've heard that somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that's weird. Um how do I feel about that? I don't know. Okay, um <laughs> maybe if the movie's decent I won't feel bad about it. We've but, got uh, a 4.7 out of 10 on IMDb based off of, or based on 256 ratings. All right. That's okay, I guess. Um, the cover doesn't look bad. No. Doesn't necessarily look good. I mean, let me, let me strike that comment. Doesn't look good for a movie cover. The artwork is good. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't speak to me a a as a cover. That's all. I don't know. I'm probably not going to watch this movie. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> that's it. That, that, that's all I can say about that. Uh, I'm probably not going to watch it based on uh, that. The three mothers. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, that is interesting. Interesting wording there. If I hear something good about it, maybe I'll check it out. But, you know, I got to come up with a name. You got to come up with that thing, that Desert Island thing. Because what a great game that would be. 
Someone, it is, yeah, I like that. 200 movies you've never seen, okay? And they're someone you're on a desert island, they come up with a big dump truck, they dump 200 movies out and they say, you can you haven't seen any of these movies. You can pick 100, the other 100 are going into the ocean. So, make <laughs> your pick now. What is a good title for that? The the 50/50 now nah, that's too generic. The Desert Island's too generic. I don't know. Um, uh, party people, maybe you you can help us out there, but yeah, help um, us out, folks. Yeah, this is a no go if I'm playing that game. So, that, that's my opinion. And so that was the Night Sitter. That okay, was the Night Sitter. Okay, now the next movie, also August sixth, also VOD. This is called American Killing. However, however, if you look it up and you type it in on the B, it's gonna I just come did. up. Okay, what came up at the top? Uh, the Clairvoyant, 1982. Okay. Uh, tr- try a little closer to this this year. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Uh, the American King as told by an African priestess. You know what? Maybe maybe, maybe hmm. I'll just okay. sit this one out. Okay. Um, Amer- for me, it's, it, it, it's called Wichita. W-I-C-H-I-T-A. Oh. I did see that. 2016. Maybe not That's that what threw close. me off. That's okay. For me... Well, either way, uh, it's called Wichita, or is it supposed to be pronounced like Wichita, like the the city? I don't know. Yeah, um, Wichita. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm guess. Going is that to how Wichita. it's spelled? Yep. <laughs> Far from this opera forevermore. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, dude? Woo! Is that how Wichita is spelled? W I C. I believe so. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. When I first looked at it, it didn't register as the city. Just. I don't know. You're like Wichita, <laughs> or like like, like, a, like a, a weird name, like Piwacket or something. Yeah, yeah. Nonsense. Well, you know what? Speaking of Piwacket, you know that's about that movie's about a witch. They, they need to have one called Wichita with a T. Oh wow! Right? I can't Am believe. I, oh. Come on. Yeah. W i t c h i t a Wichita. Wow. Wichita. Now, okay, f- folks, we put that out into the ether. All we're asking is for a Watsy party mention. That's all. That's it. And a few yes. dollars. And yes. A, and like a <laughs> put us in the credits at least. Yeah, put us in the credits. Yeah. So what's uh, Wichita 2016 or uh, American Killing uh, about? Okay, uh, a lonely man's voyeuristic obsession with the private lives of his co-workers spirals into a desperate attempt for attention and a violent spectacle of horror. Hmm. Oh, okay. Five point one out of ten on the B with seventy six ratings to go off of. So that's okay. That we're, we're that's starting to get conclusive for these you know smaller indie projects that probably won't get thousands. You know. Yeah, this is true. I'll tell you what, uh, this is weird because the cover doesn't do anything for me. However, however, you notice that little red dot in the corner, like REC, like Rec, you know? I do, and I see he's got like a GoPro on his hat or something like that. This could be found footage. Right. I'm thinking maybe it's found footage. And even if it's not found footage, I'm a little bit intrigued at the plot. Anytime somebody is spying on other people with a camera... I kind of like that in a movie. It's maybe it's my guilty pleasure. People will say, "What is your? What are your guilty pleasures?" I never have an answer. Maybe that's it. Any movie where somebody is spying on his possible prey or his obsession, yeah. I'm always into that. I've never done it myself. Don't get the wrong idea about Dave Z. <laughs> I promise I haven't. But something about that is intriguing to me, and I don't know why. Hmm. You know, I scrolled down, Dave Z, down the the B here, and it says it has a storyline with a much longer synopsis that I'm sure if if I were to read it all, it would be too much, uh, you know, too heavy into spoilers. But the first two lines say, Jeb is a lonely filmmaker and a creator of a failing TV show 
A riding retreat in the mountains intended to save his show becomes a stage for the hidden cameras that intensify his obsession with his co-workers and the joy of manipulating their lives. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing this is going to be of the first person found footage sort of uh, approach. So, yeah, there we go. I might have to make your list uh, in some form or another before the year's up. It's. It, it, I'm definitely going to crown this uh, a wait and Z. Yeah. No, no question. Yeah, I agree. I, maybe it'll be a nice surprise. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Persia White is the lead actress. And doesn't that sound like a uh, a strain of heroin? Or, or is that me? <laughs> that, that, right? I, my, my knowledge of heroin is extremely limited. Okay. Just Persia White reminds me of heroin. Either way. Uh, nice looking woman. Maybe a nice actress. We'll see. Yeah. Wichita. Heroin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. Persia White. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Also on VOD, only on VOD, because it's coming to Blu-ray on August the 20th. There's a movie we've spoken of before that I have seen, and that's Brightburn. So, oh, okay. Not much needs to be said, except now yep. you can see it, right? You didn't oh, see it? Yes, I wasn't right, able to see it. I can't wait to, man. Now you can. Okay, all right. That, that's yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> on to the next one. Uh, August 8th. Aha, this is a big release for the month. This is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, yeah. Now, my friend, are you familiar with um, these books? Absolutely. In okay. fact, uh, when my a few years ago, my son, uh, my, my, my one of my best friends in, in real life here, not on on the line, uh, yeah, sent these books to my son for his like 11th birthday. It, it, I, I was really touched by that. And check this out. This is this is how nerdy I, I'm not like a, a, a nerd or a geek. But when I was a little kid, I could do some really eccentric things. And so when I was a kid, I would rewrite. I, I would grab my copy of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark or more Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And I would cop. I liked them so much that I was like, I want to write stuff like this because like Frankie Z, writing is like my dream job. And so <laughs> I would, I was like, man, I want to write stories like this. So I would copy the story on paper and just write it out by hand for nobody to see and then just throw it out. Wow. <laughs> kind of, I don't know what the deal with that is. So yeah, I have a history with this Then I will absolutely see it. What's a, what's a synopsis for it? You know, I'm just kind of curious if it's going to be an anthology or how they're approaching this. Well, it's very basic what they have here. A group of teens face their fears in order to save their lives. Oh. Okay. Uh, there is a much longer telling. one here. There's a much longer one. Hopefully it's not spoiler if it is. Oh, I see one, Dave Z. If you scroll down to past the cast on the Internet Movie Database, there's uh -huh. a storyline, and it's a lot longer, although I, you know, we haven't vetted it, so I don't know if it's uh, going to give too many things away, but it looks like it says the first couple lines are, it's 1968 in America, change is blowing in the wind, but seemingly far removed from the unrest in the cities is the small town of Mill Valley, where for generations, the shadow of the Bellows family has loomed large. And something about a mansion on the edge of town that Sarah and other stuff. I, I don't want to say anymore because I, I don't I don't know. But teens, they're going to get mixed up in the goings on. But it's, it's a period piece. I did not know that. Oh, 1968. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Wow. wow that's interesting. Wow. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, it's PG-13. This is maybe something I could see with my daughter. Um, yeah. You two should definitely go see that. I'll yeah. take my son. I think maybe we will do that as a family thing. I, I think I could see this one. I, I My hopes aren't too high just because I could easily see this being um, like, like a CGI fest, you know, mm -hmm. because they're going to try to replicate those amazing illustrations from the book, the books, I should say. 
And just this day and age, you know they're not going to do it anything except with computers. So yep, yep. I don't know what the budget is. I don't know if it's going to look any good. Um, I don't know. Dean Norris is in this, um, who was Hank from Breaking Bad, and I'm in the middle of my second run of Breaking Bad. So, um, yeah, okay. Okay, cool. okay. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I probably will end up see, be, seeing this just because I think it's one that the family could, you know, could see together, and I'll keep my hopes up, you know? Yeah, very nice. Yeah, so scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, a good movie to see in, in the summertime, I think. I like that. Middle of August. I can dig it. It's, it's, yeah. it's either got to be a summertime movie or October. That's the way I feel about some of these horror movies. You know? Yep. I yeah. agree. Okay. August 13th. Moving on. Godzilla. Finally. Coming to Blu-ray. King of the Monsters. I hope that's the... I'm pretty sure that's why. I just yep. wrote Godzilla down. Okay. Yep. That's <laughs> the one. Nice. King of the... Hasn't that title been used before for him or am I wrong? Oh gosh, I couldn't say. I'm not very knowledgeable with the the whole kaiju subgenre. Is, is something that is out of out of my wheelhouse. Yeah, you and me both. Okay, no sweat. So it's coming to blue. I plan on um, I might blind buy it because it's same here because of the director. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Seriously, and because of everything I've been hearing about the movie has been pretty much all positives. Right? So, People are saying it, it's a blast. It's got a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb with, get this, 56,896 ratings. So I, that's pretty conclusive that this is probably a fun, fun-ass movie if you're, if you're down for those monster fights. And I am, man. I I, I would I, I can't wait to see this. Michael Doherty, you can't tell me Trick or Treat and Krampus aren't indicative of a, of a good third movie. And if this is his third movie with this big property, I'm sure there's at least some great entertainment value to be had. So I'm in. Yes, yes, so am I. And uh, just like you, they're not really, you know, in my wheelhouse normally, but just because of, of him being the director and, and the feedback, um, yeah, I, I got high hopes now, so yeah. we shall see. We shall see. Now, here's one. Boy, oh boy, this one here. Uh, All right. <laughs> uh, oof, okay. August 13th uh, to VOD, the Banana Splits movie. <laughs> <laughs> now this hits home with me. Now I'm going to read the synopsis. Okay. <laughs> a boy named Harley and his family attend a taping of the Banana Splits TV show, which is supposed to be a fun-filled birthday for young Harley and business as usual for Rebecca, the producer of the series. But things take an unexpected turn and the body count quickly rises. Can Harley, his mom, and their new pals safely escape? Okay. I have to jump off on this and say Banana Splits was a show that was in the 70s run by Hanna-Barbera the, the, okay. the, the cartoon people who did the, the Flintstones and, and, and the Jetsons and so many others Chili Willy and uh, maybe Scooby-Doo either way Hanna-Barbera was big in the 70s and the early 80s and the Banana Splits was something I didn't see in the initial run I think I was uh, too young for it I think that like maybe my older brother and sister was more there uh, their generation it was early 70s so i was born in 72 so by the time i was watching it i wasn't watching it however however in the late 90s they started playing this this show the banana splits on cartoon network or i'm pretty sure it was cartoon network at night and it became something i looked forward to every friday night because it was so whacked out we would get high and watch it and it was just so much fun because these goofball characters are running around, you know, picture like, you know, 
characters that are running around in, in, in Disney parks and things like that, you know, where there's a person inside of it and they're running around. So you have these yeah. characters, okay? And they're running around and they're, they're, that, that part barely even mattered. They show these ridiculous cartoons. One was called The Three Musketeers. One was called, um, oh, um, oh, what the Aladdin one? Not Aladdin. Um, oh, it's going to drive me nuts. I'll look it up later. Um, but they show these ridiculous cartoons that didn't make any sense. And when you're catching a buzz all, and with, a, <laughs> with a bunch of friends, all you do is laugh at it because of how ridiculous it is and everything that went on. And I'm telling you, we would watch this show on Friday nights and just have a blast watching it. So to me, that's my memory of the banana splits. Now, oh man, how amazing that my other passion <laughs> of horror this they turn it on its ass and they turn these people um oh la 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 oh man what were their names um see I'm drawing a blank now cuz <laughs> cuz the pressure's on but <laughs> I'm telling you uh Flegel was one of them um either way they have these ridiculous names and if you look at the trailers or the pictures you'll see these ridiculous characters they're going to turn them into killers I can't believe that Hanna Barbera is even allowing this to happen they're turning you know what I'm saying? They're, they're yeah, and, and it's so weird because it came at a, at a weird time. Like like I said, it was like the early '70s, so it was it was a little bit hippie-ish. Like some of the music they would play, they would go to like amusement parks, and they and these characters would be riding around on, on the rides, and all of a sudden they were going to like tie dye backgrounds and stuff because that was like in vogue at the time still. That tie dye yeah. and the hippie stuff was still spilling over into the early '70s. And I'll tell you, <laughs> it's so weird that they're turning these characters into killers. It blows my mind. And it's rated R, too. It says in the trivia here on the Internet Movie Database page for the Banana Splits movie 2019 that it's rated R and it's the first uh, adaptation of a Hanna-Barbera property that is has been allowed to be that. So that's, that's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> I'm shocked. How could they even... Wow. It'd be like Disney, you know, or, or um, Looney Tunes, um, you know, having Bugs Bunny uh, become a killer or, or something. It's just weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I am intrigued as all get it. That, that, that sounds, that sounds, <laughs> I'm intrigued, man. Yeah, you should be intrigued because I'll tell you, uh, it's something else. Arabian Nights, that was the other show. I urge people out there, especially anybody that, that is into uh, engaging in any substance, even even some, some alcohol, uh, to sit down with friends one night and try to get your hands on the Banana Splits and Friends show and just watch it for a half hour, kick back, and laugh at it because it's 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 a surreal thing. It's and it's something I want to share with other people. So I'm telling you, the banana splits is uh it's something worth checking out. Uh, Flegel, Drooper, nice. Bingo, Snorky, yeah, and the Sour Grapes Girls. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Continuing on. <laughs> Boy, I'm excited about that banana. Yeah, splits, you man. got me pumped, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> Okay, now here's something I should be excited about because I was such a big fan of the first one. August 15th, to the cinema, 47 meters down, uncaged. Ooh. Um, what did you think about the first movie? Man, I really liked it. I, I, I heard, uh, you know, a lot of smack talk about it, but mm. I, I thought it was great. I, I liked that the sharks were kind of the secondary threat. You know, the way this yes. narrative goes and the way the tension's racked up is the the sharks are just the, the next thing. They have something more pressing with this, you know, being trapped down there below the water, uh, you know, at an undisclosed depth and uh, <laughs> 47 meters down. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, there was even a 
an aspect to the third act that would normally bother me with my my sensibilities and anyone who knows me and has seen that movie might know what I'm referring to mm-hmm. but I was actually like dang you know what this was just done differently and in a different fashion I, I like this I like that movie and so this one it doesn't follow the same characters at least insofar as the cast goes I'm seeing Nia Long uh, as the lead so yes she was uh, fre- the Fresh Prince's longtime girlfriend in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air she started making trouble in his neighborhood so yeah <laughs> yes Nia Long and Sistine Rose Stallone, Stallone. Oh. Sly's kids yeah hey yeah, interesting. It ain't so bad. <laughs> There's no easy way out. Nice. <laughs> there you go, Marco. There's no shortcut home. All right. 47 meters down. <laughs> Uncage can't be wrong. Uncage can't be wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, maybe oh, it baby. can be wrong, because I'll tell you, I'm not very excited about this. It's PG-13. Oh, it is? Uh, oh, yeah, yes. sure is. They may just be going by the name of, uh, of the, the, the moderate success of the first film, which I understand some people didn't like, but I happen to love. I was, it was so, it was so much tension for me with them being underwater. It really took me in. It was an experience and I, I've watched it three times total and I, I've enjoyed it every time. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of that, but uh, let me read the synopsis quickly. 14 girls die. Not, not, not 14, <laughs> four space teen. Yeah. Girls diving in a ruined underwater city quickly learn that they've entered the territory of the deadliest shark species in the claustrophobic labyrinth of submerged caves. Hmm. Oh no. Hmm. It's the same director, Dave Z, Johannes Roberts. Oh, is it now? Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'll keep the faith. I'm not going to go see it unless I hear something good about it, but fingers crossed. I just, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But if you're if you're one of those people that want to go see a shark movie in the summer, well, there you go, kids. Well, Movie Pass just came back, and so <laughs> after being dark mm-hmm. for a month, so I might I might actually have a chance to go see it. Yeah, do it, man, do it. You know, yeah. it's summertime, it's sharks, it's water. Why not? Oh yeah, you're not afraid of water, are you? No, I'm not afraid of water, but I don't I don't have like any, I love boats, and like on the 16th, I'm going kayaking, but I oh, have yeah, a strong don't. aversion to getting <laughs> wet. I it's one of my things like you know it, you know like the my, my son and I just saw the guys uh, from Impractical Jokers live the other night it was a, just a blast and you know th- wow. that their whole career yeah they came to the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma Washington and we did some comedy their whole stand up bit it was a blast my son said it was one of the best nights he's ever had but wow. you know just you know t- we, we always oh, always oh, so much fun I, I mean that, that's a whole podcast thing in itself just talking about the experience we had maybe my son's gonna be on the next episode of Horror Corridor so we'll talk nice. about that probably on our own but the the whole deal is you know their whole show is about doing un- things that make you uncomfortable or others uncomfortable they'd be able to get me so easy like hey uh hey watson uh uh why don't you go jump in that in that in that water there and be like do i have to do anything else they're like oh we just know you hate getting wet go ahead and just dunk on in i'd be like i'll just take the loss i hate getting wet it's like so yeah even though i'm going kayaking on the 16th i'm just so good at it i don't get wet that's that's the deal folks but so yeah so i i would but i would go in a shark cage i think if they could promise that i don't have to get like too wet like those wetsuits i'm down with that but i just i'm not a I don't like to get wet. That's just that's just the deal. Who I love to swim, so I, I'm cool with getting wet. I've been swimming all my life. I, I dig that. However, would you go in a shark cage? <laughs> no, 
Because nope. that's why that movie hit me, hit, hit home with me. Because I, I think with my luck, I would go down there and something would happen with the air. <laughs> I, I, You're I bi- just, yeah, right. I don't trust it. I don't trust those tanks. I just think that, I, I think they wouldn't work for me or something. I don't know. I'm just really bugged out about about drowning. I, I don't know. I've, I've always been that way, and I just maybe if I could bring two tanks with me or something, just in case okay. this one didn't work. I don't know. I just I'm not afraid. See, that's just it. I'm not even afraid of the sharks as much as I am not being able to breathe and yeah. that's that's what it was about the first movie that's like exactly said, what it was yep. yes they weren't the first threat they were an added threat which was great but to me it was like man these girls might might drown I mean I, I was right in that cage with them that's the way I felt so but hopefully this movie can bring up some more tension um, it's four girls this time but still maybe it'll work maybe I, I won't be so dismissive yeah so, yeah yeah we'll see okay August 20th VOD Ma I, I talked about it last last show, I believe. Yep. Uh, now, Watson, maybe you get to see it. And um, yep, yep. Check it out, August twentieth. Okay. I will. August twenty third. Now, this I just found out about, even though this was being remade. Funny thing is, I've never seen the original, and I have to watch it this month for um, podcasts under the stairs summer series. But there is a remake of Jacob's Ladder coming to the cinemas. Really? Yes. Jacob's Ladder. See, it surprised me too until I looked up the uh, the, the releases. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yep. J- Jacob's Ladder. Starring okay. Michael Ely, Jesse Williams. I'm not sure I know them. After returning home from the Vietnam War, veteran Jacob Singer struggles to maintain his sanity. Plagued by hallucinations and flashbacks, Singer rapidly falls apart as the world and people around him morph and twist into disturbing images. A remake of the 1990 thriller starring Tim Robbins. Hmm. Are you sure it's going to be someone returning home from the Vietnam War? <laughs> I, it would be kind of weird to be making this movie in 2019 and the guy got back from Vietnam and making it a period piece, I guess. Hmm. Maybe they are. I have a feeling that it will not be though. I have a feeling yeah. that it's going to be a modern, the guy's coming back from whatever. Like Afghanistan or something. Okay. Yes. That I could be wrong and we'll see. And I really definitely have to watch the first one this month because I have to. So maybe just maybe, I'll go see this right about now. It seems like one of those remakes that are, ju- and I we discussed remakes on the first show. Yep. And I hate to say this, but just looking at the lack thereof when it comes to the, the, the lack of any, we didn't know about this movie. Uh, where was the um, advertisements? How come? How come we? It took us by surprise. I look at the cover of this. It looks like it's something that should be direct to VOD. I don't know. It reminds me of, and I hate to say the word unnecessary because I don't want to, you know, shit on remakes because it's really not my style. But it just seems like a remake that's just going to be there for the sake of being there. It, sure. Kind of like that Flatliners thing was. I wasn't really, although I I, I did kind of want to watch the Flatliners uh, remake only because of the actress that was in it, not because of anything else. Oh, okay. You know, it just wasn't anything that, you know what I mean? How sometimes a remake just comes out with it. It's a movie of the same name. It just, just appears and it just doesn't seem like, I don't know. Is anything yeah, to be the, excited about? The, I think it was the Martyrs remake and the mm. Inside remake both did yeah. that to me. Where they just, like, one of them had a little more hype than the other one. And one of them, like, kind of, I felt like at least, and granted, you know, I think a lot of our listeners know that both of us sort of live in our own bubble. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, we do get a lot of, you know, a, a lot of that bubble is informed by the people that we choose to 
you know, surround ourselves with who are people who are very in the know. And so I'm just surprised not anybody in any of the groups I, you know, in, of which I'm a part have been talking like, yo, Jacob Ladder, Jacob's Ladder's coming out. Let's, yeah, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. This is crazy. Yeah, isn't that something? Same thing. Yeah. I was looking it up yesterday and I go, Jacob's Ladder, really? How come? Okay. So I don't know. Maybe it'll maybe it'll be a surprise, but yeah, I'll know, wait just, and see myself. I, like if you yeah. if you happen to see it, you know, because you're going to be seeing the original and you happen to check this out. Yeah, let let me know, or or I'll just be listening, keeping my ear to the ground with the groups. I doubt I'll be rushing to see this. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, but maybe it'll be a pleasant surprise. Think That'd be awesome. Happen. Win win, man. It's happened. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now same date. This one is, uh, is is a VOD, though. It's August 23rd, so you can watch it at your house. Tone Deaf. Interesting. Okay. Robert Patrick is in this one. Yes, Robert Patrick is in it. Okay, a woman goes to the countryside to spend a quiet weekend after losing her job and having her last complicated relationship implode. She rents a country house to an old-fashioned widower who struggles to hide his psychopathic tendencies. I have noticed a comeback amongst older actors playing psychopaths yeah uh, dennis quaid recently dennis quaid um lynn shay oh yeah and, and now uh robert patrick it, it seems it. to be something happening which is unusual you usually see in, in movies like this where you know someone becomes obsessed or so even ma she was no young lady either yeah it's maybe that's what sparked it hmm okay uh it's, it's interesting though usually they tend to go for uh, younger folks when you're talking about someone being obsessed no i mean at oh, least yeah. 30ish maybe but we're seeing people 50s and 60s and whatnot uh, becoming the obsessed ones and it's i don't know maybe it's just the flavor of the year i don't know but could be I, could be yeah but who knows maybe this is good robert patrick uh, it should be interesting it's it's listed as a comedy horror thriller so comedy all, okay yeah, yeah you got you got all that going for it um I'm okay with the way this uh, this cover looks. Uh, yeah, me it, too. It looks the horror comedy. Like <laughs> um, it has that. Yeah, it does have it does have that look to it. And I do see Annalyn McCord is in this uh, from Excision and Sixty Something Kill. I forgot which which. Uh, I, so I'm a big fan of her. She's great. Oh, me too. Yes, I, I didn't. Yeah, she's she's billed like fifth or sixth, but yes. Yeah, yeah, she's I down understand. there. Is it sixty seven kill? Is it sixty eight kill? That's what it is. Sixty eight. There you kill. go. You, I knew you'd get there eventually. Just yeah. keep trying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just keep counting up. <laughs> sixty eight. You got it. Yep. Um. Yeah. Okay. Check it out. The way it says tone deaf, that font to me is comedy. Do you get what I'm saying? I absolutely do. Yeah. See, it's back to that conversation about covers. That you see a lot of comedies that have that type of font and color on the letters. There, there, there's something to this. Just like you have horror fonts, you have comedy fonts, and it's hard to say why, but it's just something you look at and see. So yeah, it's got to be some kind of association that you know we, we've seen it enough that we begin mm-hmm. to see the good ones, the bad ones, and you you associate you know this type of font or this type of image and coloring you know with the good and the bad, and you, you're making all these cross associations, and it's it, that's why it's so hard to put into words. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm seeing exactly what you're talking about. I've seen yeah. this same or a similar font used in the horror comedies before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's like Barbershop or something. It reminds me of, or, or one of those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, what could it? Ah, uh, I don't know. Either way, it's comedy. The struggle is real. So indeed, that's what it says on his shirt for some reason. Oh, it does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about the struggle of trying to figure this shit out, but yeah, that that, that struggle is real too. That's but his struggle it. with his psychopathy is real as well, apparently, and he's got 
He looks like he's got a hatchet in one hand. He's standing behind uh, a pretty lady with glasses, and he's got like a hammer and a hatchet in, in, in either hand. He looks like he's gonna do something with those, and oh. it's probably not gonna be remodeling. Ah, exactly. Oh, buddy. Okay, the director, the director Richard Bates Jr. You know what he's directed? Excision, as we just spoke oh, about. Trash and trash fire, fire which and, I, I and suburban gothic. He's three for three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This this kind of changes things for me because I liked all three of those movies. Oh, Trash wow. Fire cracked me up. Like the the lead guy in that was I was rolling. He was he was killing me. Adrian, how do you say his name? Grenny Grenier Grenier, but um, Grenier yeah. probably. Yeah. Is my guess. Grenier. Yeah, yep. he was great. Yep, and Angela Trimber always is. I'm always a mm-hmm. fan of hers. So, yeah. Heck yeah. Wow. Well, shoot, uh, then I'm definitely going to want to see this then, because that guy's, yeah, he is three for three. Yeah. Suburban, Suburban Gothic, I thought, was, as far as plot goes, like, incredibly basic, but I really had a good time with it. Yeah, same here. I mean, it didn't, you know, I'm not saying it was great, but... Yeah. I, I But excision, told- man. Oh, yeah. Who? Yeah, quality stuff. That's one. Yes, it is. That's one. What year was that, 2012? Mm. Yeah. That may be a Watsy, uh a future movie. <laughs> right, right? Yeah, it just might. Okay, so that's that one. That's the only VOD one. We have another one coming to the cinema. Ready or not. Ready or not. Now, th- there's two magic words in this movie, uh, which is uh, appealing me to it, which is drawing uh, me two, to it. They're the same for me as well, if they're the same two words. <laughs> uh, Are the two words Samara weaving? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Mama Mia. Mama Mia, Samara weaving. She's Indeed. Indeed is right. Um... Yeah, uh, I'll watch anything that she's in that's mildly horror-related. This is horror mystery thriller, so that sounds good. Um, Look at that rating, Dave Z. 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb as uh, with 93 ratings already on. You know, that, that's that's pretty good. Yes, it is. Yes, it What's is. What's this one? I like that cover, too. We got, you know, we got the bride standing out. We got, looks like a cast of characters kind of all around her. You, you know, it looks like somebody's got an axe and... I'm seeing guns, I'm seeing fire, I'm seeing, I don't know, it looks like, in the color tone, it's a nice earthy color palette, I, I really like it, you know, folks, if you know, if you ever play along with this and you're looking at the cover for Ready or Not, you'll see what I, see what I'm talking about, it, it looks, it looks pretty, pretty solid, and what's this one about, Dave Z? This one is about a bride's wedding night taking a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. Oh, oh. I love game movies. I, 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 so do I, and I want to see Samara Weaving playing that game. I want to see her playing any game. She could be playing Stratego uh, against um, <laughs> Ralph the Dog, and I will watch it. Yes. Oh, and nah, I'm not going to get too crazy, but there's, there's a nice picture of her with all kinds of blood on her, Like, but she's smiling, so interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was at the top of the... You know, sometimes they have those things flash across the top of the screen on the B. Yeah. Oh, it didn't flash for me. Oh, boy. Well, don't <laughs> don't start flashing because then you get... No, no, no. We, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah. It just happened to be that and it was a picture of her and I'm like... Hmm. I see it. Yeah. But yeah, I love these game movies. I, I love um, um, 13 Game of Death or 13 Sins, the American remake or... Uh, yeah. Cheap Thrills. Or, or the game by, with Michael yeah. Douglas, or any Would of those rather... movies involving a game, right? Man, something about that. Maybe that's another. Man, I'm discovering all kinds of things. Maybe that's another. Uh, what did I say earlier? Um, what's that word that people always guilt? Well, it's not really a guilty pleasure because I enjoy every one of them, and they're all pretty good movies. So, 
maybe it's well not. you also like the saw movies and that's about uh if people want to play a game true yeah <laughs> I'm all about games. All right. You are about games. Dave Games Z. You know why? Because I'm a player. <laughs> I'm a player. 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 Oh, oh, oh. I'm a player. But Dave Z is a player. If you see him looking clean cut. Heck, no, the, the Tech 9 I'm a player song. <laughs> oh, I thought you just made that up for a second. Oh, I wish. There. Because you know I what wish. that is. You know what that is, right? Uh, the Falco. Yes. I'm a Deus. Yeah. And Rocky Man Amadeus, speaking of substances... It's another thing that I used to listen to a lot in the 90s with buddies. At least it, 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 it's a trip. It's got a funky beat. And I bug out to it. it. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's damn true. Okay. Uh, so that's Ready or Not, August 23rd. Ready or Not. Run to your I'm gonna want theater. <laughs> that's coming to the theater. Okay. I yes. This will... I'll, I'll see this. I probably will see it as well. Okay. Yeah. August 30th. We're at the last two here. One movie coming to VOD by the name of Itsy Bitsy. Itsy Bitsy, what could that possibly be about? Maybe it's about a spider. Let's see. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Itsy Bitsy. Okay. Bruce Davidson. Oh, I, I'm a fan of Bruce Davidson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Drama, horror, thriller. Okay. Based on the centuries-old poem, a family moves into a secluded mansion where they soon find themselves being targeted by an entity taking the form of a giant spider. Oh, it's not even a spider. It's an entity taking on the form of a spider. It's Pennywise. Yeah, I was going to say, yes, it is Pennywise. <laughs> wow. This is like this is like a throwback. Look at the cover, right? I see that. This is totally throwback in, in the best way. This looks like a, a freaking direct-to-VHS movie from the 80s. Oh, totally. It also kind of looks like one of those 90s R.L. Stein books. Not not like the Goosebumps <laughs> one for the kids, right. but like the Fear Street ones for like the, the teens. Right. I, I get you. <laughs> I can see that. I can just see like Itsy Bitsy just like move that down a little or move it up a little and it have like R.L. Stein's like name and that gross font, font that drippy font. And I can I can see that. I, I don't know. There's something super simplistic about this, but I, I like it. Yes. And we know nothing of it. There's nothing. There's no ratings. There's no... Coming soon, that, that's all we have. Uh, we have nothing on this. There's no uh, trivia. There's nothing. All we have is a tagline. Fear spins its web. Okay. <laughs> and this picture. Man, this could be a fun movie. It could be. I would honestly I rather see one giant spider than a whole bunch of them. Yeah. I, yeah, that's that's my type of... When it comes to creature features, I, I, I don't know. Like, There's been a lot of movies where there's a bunch of spiders, right? This is about one spider. You know that's going to be a vicious freaking spider. It's, 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 it's going to be, there's going to be a, a probably a really solid third act where they're trying to take the spider down and it's going to be scary. Well, I, I hope it is, you know. Sure, I, like Alien, you know, you had the one, the one xenomorph to worry about. Oh. And, and, you know, always wondering where it is, how's it going to, you know, where, you know, where's it going to come from? How's it going to get you? I don't know, I could dig that. Hopefully if this thing is, uh, you know, it says a giant spider, I don't know how big we're talking, but I don't know. In my head, it's looking pretty good, Dave Z. Yes, it is. I just hope, hopefully it's just a fun flick. Because yeah. it, it could shit the bed if it's if it's a CGI spider and it looks terrible. Then no matter how good everything else is, it, it's, it, it can't hurdle something that bad. You just can't. So In, yeah, Indeed. I really hope that they handle this right. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm a little excited about a spider movie. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you. I know, it's weird, but something about that cover sucked me in. See, it happens sometimes with the, with, with the covers. Sometimes they suck you in. Sometimes they turn you off. Yep. Always check under the bed. Okay. 
Ooh, I'm checking under the bed tonight now, just thinking about that. Man. Right, right. Yeah, spiders. Okay, and one more movie. Aha! All right. This is coming to the cinema, and I'm going to sing it. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. <laughs> you know that song? <laughs> yeah, who, who does that? That's from Creep Show, man. <laughs> oh, God, of course. Of course. Yeah, I just showed my son that movie. Uh, we watched it again like a couple months ago. Oh, what did he think? Loved it. Oh, awesome. Loved it. it oh, yeah. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. <laughs> two of them in our in our whole thing. Got that. Got two clips from uh, two showtime clips from Creepshow in our That's right. in our soundbite there. Yeah. It's showtime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's only <like> Chewbacca. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> oh, Chew Watson. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Indeed. Let Go 2019. Looks like we got yeah. a 6.5 out of 10 yeah. out of 77 reviews or 77 ratings. And so what's this one about? Okay, Don't Let Go. Uh, after a man's family dies in what appears to be a murder, he gets a phone call from one of the dead, his niece. He's not oh. sure if she's a ghost or if he's going mad, but as it turns out, he's not. Hmm. Or is he? I know. <laughs> They're saying yeah, right. he's not. <laughs> or is he? Yeah. But uh, we don't know. Uh, you won't know till the final minute of that film. Of that film. Yeah, hmm. probably interesting um kind of a good premise i guess uh, has that been done a phone call from the dead and you don't know what's going on hmm i don't know i'm um i'm kind of interested in this one yeah I'd li- i would like to see where that premise takes the yeah takes the rest of the story indeed yeah it might be okay uh do, do we have any spell okay six like you said six and a half 77 n- not a bad start we don't know a lot. A couple of nines and a, and, a, and a one when you look at the the written oh. user reviews. So, hmm, hard to say. Never Number one, never want to relive watching again. This has to be the worst film to premiere at Sundance in half a decade. The fine Uh-oh. cast does its best, but the script just offers them a nonsensical sci-fi conceit that is ne- never developed in paper-thin cliche characters and dialogue. Very disappointing. Hmm. Oh no! But the others are nine out of ten, and they really enjoyed it. So hard to say. Yeah, that's the divisive as hell, right there. Yep, uh, it's a wait and see as far as I'm concerned. Indeed, yep, I like wait the cover and see all the way. You like that yep. cover? Yeah, I do. It's got the, the, those colors that we like that that, that purple, pink, uh, you know, uh, neon demon trippy mm-hmm. looking. You know? Yeah. So. We'll see. Don't let go. Okay, so, so those 13 movies we talked about quickly. Hopefully you guys will, you know, check a few out and maybe tell us what you think about them because I have a feeling we're going to be telling you guys what we think about a few of them next show. Indeed, indeed. Well, okay. Well, folks, that concludes our party favor segment, which brings Act 1 of this horror show to a close. It is now time for the Watsy Party Horror Show Horror Deep Dive segment to commence. All right, folks, we're here right now in the horror deep dive portion of the party, and this is our topic of discussion segment. Now, we've had this topic kicking around since the start of the show, but given the fact that we're doing the film We Are Still Here 2015 in Act 3 of the show, we thought this would be the right time to bring this topic of discussion out for all y'all party people. See, We Are Still Here works on so many levels to subvert expectations. As a haunted house film, it doesn't do everything strictly by the book, and I love it when films play with the formula a little bit, right? And hey... 
There ain't nothing necessarily wrong with the formula. Sometimes those recurring tropes that work to define the various horror subgenres are great, and we welcome their presence, but sometimes we get those rubber-stamped, stereotypical story beats, and after seeing them so many times, it's enough to make a homie flip. So folks, Dave Z and I are going to give you all our own personal list of our top five worst horror cliches. People dig lists, we dig them, but we're going to throw in a little bit of extra fun here after we name our selected horror cliche that we don't like. After we explain why this thing irks us as it does, we are then going to provide a solution to the trope to keep things in a positive and progressive direction. Dave Z, are you ready with your list, my friend? Because I know I am. Yes. Yes, I am. It's going to be an interesting conversation because my solutions, <laughs> they may be worse than the tropes themselves. So <laughs> Sweet. We'll see. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, well, uh, you want me to want me to kick it off? Yeah, you know why? Because I have six, so I have a feeling you're going to oh. take at least one. So I, I'd rather you go first, uh, and maybe you'll snag them from me. All right, so my number five worst horror cliche is poorly defined rules in supernatural movies. So supernatural horror movies are among my absolute favorite this genre has to offer, but you don't have to try very hard at all to find those horror movies that feature these otherworldly villains of some sort who operate at the whims of the script writer rather than by any clearly laid out guidelines. The Nun, right, 2018, is egregious in this regard. At times, the antagonist seems all-powerful and can manipulate the very fabric of space and time and matter. Other times, it pops out for a quick scare and is ineffective. The demon could kill them all in an instant and has shown that it can without trying, yet it doesn't. Why? Who knows, right? Who the hell knows? There's no internal logic to some of these things. And this problem plagues a great deal of supernatural horror films where consistency is thrown out the window in favor of what might look good visually or what might be just like a quick jump scare. It makes the events of the film ring false simply because if there's no rule book to play by in a story, then what even matters then, right? So... My remedy for this trope has to do with writers working to seriously flesh out the world of their film in their own minds so that they themselves know what their supernatural entity can and can't do, even if it's not like explained outright in the movie. As viewers, I think, in this, you know, we'll know if it's done right without having to be told. It's all about crafting rules or establishing boundaries from a story standpoint. Like take Paranormal Activity 2009, for example. That film gave us a steady buildup that implies that while the spirit is weak at first, it's growing in power over the course of the film. That's great. Simple, effective, I love it. In The Conjuring 2013 and Insidious 2010 alike, we know what the spirits want, so their actions make sense in the realm of the story. Take Dark Summer 2015 and Hereditary 2018, there are otherworldly forces that have a clear end game in mind that informs the events of the film in a remarkably effective manner. And hey, shout out to the homie Mike Lay who wrote Dark Summer, by the way. He's a member of our Facebook group, Dave Z. Because of the review my son Lil Watt and I did on episode 14 of Horror Corridor, I pronounced his name wrong on that show, and I apologize. This is my redemption story right now, Dave Z. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I believe that if writers pay closer attention to the inner world of their story, then the supernatural subgenre doesn't have to be home for all these inconsistencies about, oh, what can the ghost do? What can't it do? And it, you know, where it seems like a film is breaking its own rules. So you don't need to write a masterpiece to write a dependable narrative, I think. Does that make sense, Dave Z? Yes. And, and, and quite simply put, that is the difference in many cases between a good movie and a bad movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you watched a movie and complained that, well, that doesn't make sense. How, how is this possible based on the facts that we've been given? How can this happen? And we weren't given an explanation. Everything else about your movie can be top notch, but then all of a sudden you pull the rug out from under the viewer by using the you know a lazy writing technique or, or maybe even saying that 
you know, these people watching these movies don't care. They're not going to notice. Yeah, almost like they, they just want to be scared or they just want to jump or they want this. They're, they're not looking for anything too deep. So we're not going to give it to them. Maybe sometimes they do that. And yeah. um, uh, horror viewers are, are, are a lot smarter than, <laughs> than some people think. And indeed, right. Doesn't it make it, but it makes a huge difference. Uh, a good movie can turn bad just based on something simple like that. Some people got mad at It Follows, where to me, it made sense, but other people say, well, this, that, the other thing, it didn't follow its own rules and this and that. And sure. I'll, you know, some people said that. Do I agree with them? No. And that's an, a topic for another, another show. But yeah, yeah. even they liked everything else about that movie. They said, oh yeah, it was shot well, the score was great, the character, whatever. They liked, but they said, I don't like how it broke its rules. And, you know, like I said, I'm not going to fight them on it, but they enjoy sure. the movie, but that is what stuck with them. You know what I mean? That That's what happens. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, following your own rules. And it really is about, you know, I think with the supernatural, a lot of, you know, people just kind of think, well, I don't know, the, the, the demon or the ghost can just do whatever because it's supernatural. And it's just like, yeah, but come on, this is your film that you wrote. Give it limits. Give it, you don't even have to say there doesn't need to be a character going, oh, the ghost can do this and it can't do that. You just show us. But, you know, yeah, like don't make it all powerful and then ineffective too. Like you can't have it both ways. And a lot of movies do that for the reasons you said. So, yeah, I'm glad that made sense. So, uh, Dave Z, what is your number five worst horror cliche? Okay. You know, I want to say this now. It's really my number one if we're talking about, you know, what bothers me. Okay. I don't want you to take it from me. And it's something I've spoken about many times on the show, other shows. But I want to make sure I, I, I single this out because of how it enrages me and how unnecessary it is. And it's something that it may not even bother other people. This is maybe it's just personal to me, but I call it the double dream fake out. And it's become so cliche. It's become so overdone. And what I mean by the double dream fake out is somebody has a dream and they wake up. Oh my God. That was a scary dream I had in my life. And they turn over and they look at their wife and their wife is a skeleton. Ah! And then they wake up again. (laughs) That was a dream too. That to me has become so played out. That's the type of trick that can only work once or twice in a movie. And when you're seeing it every five movies, you come to expect it. It's lost everything that was great about it the first time. It's 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 overdone. You can't do it. I mean, it's bad enough that we're seeing a dream in probably fifty percent, if not more, probably more. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. Their dream is the big thing going on in horror movies right now. And it's it's really overdone. But the double, the double dream fake out is the worst because, number one, you can see it coming. <laughs> and number two, it's just completely unnecessary. So I'm going to lump it into one solution for all of it. If you must have a dream in your movie, if you must, make it so you know it's a dream right off the bat. Because I think at this point... It, it's just, it's run its course or here's a better, a better solution. I think is I think that people like to do those dreams because they can show cool visuals and they can show, get a scare out of it and have something really cool happen in your, in your horror movie. That's horrific. But if you had these great ideas, don't you think it would be better suited to incorporate that in the actual plot? Can't that happen to that character too? Why not? It's a horror movie. You can make your own rules as long as you follow them. Like Watson said, stick with your your program, but make what you have happen in your dream as part of the plot, and that will work. And please, please, anyone who has any connection to anyone making a movie, 
Stop with the double dream fake out. It's it's really run its course in the worst way. That's it. Man, I I couldn't agree more. And, and in fact, I'm going to talk a little more about this right now because my number four worst horror cliche is dream sequences. Now, mine's a little broader than yours. You you went really ultra specific, and I like that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna step back a little, and I'm gonna just talk about the convention of dream sequences as a whole. So dream sequences are used for two primary reasons in horror films, right? Either as a means for a cheap jump scare like the double fake out there, or as a way by which we can get a glimpse into the mind of a character, okay? Dream jump scares or fake outs are meaningless, and I despise them. One of the worst offenders I've seen takes place in Annabelle 2014. It's so contemptible because it sets up something so dark and impactful only to take it back and play it safe. That's what these types of dream sequences do. They fill time, and they deliver nothing of substance. I find them trite and insulting, honestly. Like, whoever thinks cheap jump scares are legit, okay, lame. But whoever thinks putting a cheap jolt inside of a dream, I just don't have words for that kind of trash, Dave Z. And what you're talking about is, like, why not just have that happen? It's such a safe thing to have populating the horror genre. It needs to go. Now, the dream sequences that are designed to reveal the nature of a specific character. These aren't as appalling to me. But it's still an overused way to establish why a character is the way he or she is. You can have a flashback sequence that isn't a dream. You can simply have characters doing and saying things that tell you what they're like. I would even accept a character talking about a dream they had, like in No Country for Old Men. But when I see a film that places the emphasis on dreams to tell us who a character is, I just find that to be a passive way to give us information rather than an active one. It's a little weak here in 2019 and beyond. Now, I'm not saying dream sequences can't be done right. Because they absolutely can. Hell, in all three, Dave Z, all three of our previous Watsy Party Horror Show episodes so far before this, we've dealt with films where dream sequences are deliberate and active parts of the story. That is to say, without spoiling anything, that in the context of these films, we've got dreams whose purposes go above and beyond the two things I've just described. They're not cheap jump scares and they're not just merely there. This is who that character is. The dream sequences are almost physical things in the movie itself. So, my remedy for the dream sequence cliche is simply to stop writing these scenes unless your character's dreams impact the story in an active sense rather than a passive sense. Maybe they're prophetic visions of the future. Maybe there's a supernatural character or force that manifests in dreams or outright sends the dreams to the characters. Freddy kills inside dreams. That's great. You know, these here are all creative ways to use a tired trope in a fresh way. It can be done, it just takes a little effort, and effort's all I'm asking, really. Dave Z, I mean, I guess you, you, you <laughs> I was kind of piggybacking, piggybacking on you there. So, yeah, anything further to add? I'll tell you what, it's funny that you mentioned a way to combat that is to have the character discuss their dream, because as soon as you said that, it brought me back to something which is so, it's more effective because it's more memorable that I, that when you said that, I thought about the time it was talked about in a movie, and I'm talking about Friday the 13th, 1980. To this day, I'll still bring up that, that scene where Marcy talks about her dream. Uh-huh. When they're talking about the rain, and she goes, I had this dream, and, 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 and the rain comes in, and pebbles, and the, and the rain turns to blood and all that. And that's effective, because you can discuss that dream. It's just this little simple thing, but I'm still talking about it now in 2019, that she said go. that. And uh, it was that prophetic to her own death. That's actually kind of scary that she had that dream. And, and, the, yeah. and the rivers of blood washing away, and then this poor girl ended up dying on a rainy night. To me, that's when do you ever hear anybody talk about a horror movie dream? Hey, do you remember that dream in, in this movie? Never. It doesn't happen. Yeah. So that's what's more memorable to me is Marcy talking about a dream she had to somebody else and how, you know, her fate 
what happened. So, that, and that's and that's yeah. so much more impactful than if we'd gotten a scene where she dreams that and oh. then she wakes up. You know, like and I'm tired of seeing characters wake up. Oh come oh. on! But anyway, yeah. But I mean, we wouldn't remember that. We you know you might be able to put it together thematically, but. Just like at the end of, well, at, in, at the end of No Country for Old Men, you have a character who's describing a dream he had. The camera's punched in on their face, and he's just talking about to his wife this dream he had. And it's just such a chilling and strange scene that if they'd shown the dream, it would have taken taken away from it if we see him wake up and, oh, there's the dream. So, I don't know. There, there are ways around dream sequences, either by not having them, and like you said, making the characters just actually go through these things, or... You know, just sidestepping it and making these things more deliberate products of the story rather than, I don't know, we need a scare here, have it be a dream because we can't actually have the character get their hand chopped off or whatever. So I don't know. I just think it's weak. And I think in 2019 and beyond, we got to grow, man. And that, that's that's what this list is about. So, yeah, Dave Z, what is your number four worst horror cliche? All right. I'm going to piggyback off of you because of what you mentioned. You mentioned something about jump scares. And I am not going to knock jump scares. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot of people don't like them. And I know... You know, people listening may have heard me me say that and think, oh, oh, here it comes. F- jump scares. You know, no, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I My problem is predictable jump scares. When you're hanging there waiting and you're knowing it's going to happen, you've removed, <laughs> you've removed the effectiveness of your jump scare. I remember, and I, I enjoy this movie, I went to see The Boy at the theater when it first mm-hmm. came out, uh, whatever it was, three or four years ago now. Uh my daughter, who is 13 now, so let's say she's nine at the time, we're watching the movie, and this happened to be a dream, back to dreams, but Laurie Cohen's character uh, is having a dream, and she approaches a painting, and as she's approaching the painting slowly, a little nine-year-old girl looks over at me and whispers, jump scare, okay? <laughs> she knew it was coming before it happened as a, as a nine-year-old. Now, what is that telling you? It, it's so predictable you're losing it it's not a jump scare now you know it's coming nope that's the problem with modern filmmaking is they let it hang there too long so you know the purpose of the shot is going to lead to a jump scare otherwise why is that scene happening it wouldn't make much sense and you could just tell the aura of the whole scene the way it's played out my daughter can still do it granted she's more seasoned in the genre and everything else but you know, yeah. this is a kid, you know what I mean? And she can tell you jump scares that this that, that in a way is supposed to be bread and butter, especially for Hollywood flicks. And it's just, I mean, look at a movie, and I do love proper jump scares, proper. I mean, look at Paranormal Activity. Yeah. Part two had a, had a real good one. And the thing is, and I, you can even take it back to Exorcist 3, which is one of the most famous jump scares. The thing about those scenes is they let something happen. They let it linger just for a bit, so you think something's going to happen, and then the allotted time is actually passed, and it's quiet, and you think, okay, well, they're not going to do it now, and you settle back, and then then they sting you with it. That's one way to do it that's effective. That's one great way to do it. I'm not saying it's the only way, but that works. And you could think about Friday the 13th Part 2, one of my favorite movies, which has four of the best jump scares ever in its final act. And I agree. They're simple. They're simple. The girl's reaching for the doorknob. You think that Jason's on the other side? Nope. Comes through the window right next to her instead. It's a quick. It's a. It's a quick hitter. I don't know. They should be easier to telegraph. I just wish that filmmakers would put as much time I- into effective jump scares as they did other things like uh, 
like marketing, for example. There's so much marketing going on. It's it shoved down oh, yeah. your throat. I mean, take some of that. And I, I know financially it doesn't make sense to say that because what you're paying people for marketing and what you're paying people for writing and directing is different. They're not related at all. But I just wish that there was be, be a better emphasis on proper jump scares because when we're to the point now where because of the way the scene's set up and because of the music and everything else, and that's another thing. It's the music that that kind of screws it up. In Paranormal sure. Activity, there was no music. In an Exorcist, Exorcist Three, there was no music for those jump scares. They they were just played out. When you get the music coming in, it's leading you into it. it's it's you know what I'm saying. What was the word I said earlier? It's you're being it it's lingering. Uh, everything is yeah. lingering to something that you know is going to come. And I don't know. That's something that I think could could easily be corrected. Corrected, and I think that's why people have a problem with it because a lot of modern jump scares are cheap, you know. So yeah. So they they talk trash about jump scares, but jump scares aren't the problem. It's the execution of the jump scare. That's like saying horror movies are bad. No. Yeah. Some horror movies are bad when they're not executed correctly, but when they're executed the right way, they're great movies. Don't be so close minded. And now, now I'm talking about the viewers, and that's not what this is about. But I'm just saying that some jump scares are great. It's just they need to be worked on. Somebody has to come along and, you know, show these people how to do good jump scares again. Indeed. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you were saying about the the double dream fake out is a lot of the jump scares that people have a, you know, people will say, I hate jump scares. Like, I happen to love jump scares. But like you said, they've got to be those substantial jump scares that are not only... And there is a difference because uh, they're okay. First off, there are those ones like the double dream fake out where they're not substantial. Nothing actually happens. It's right. just kind of filler. It's a, there's the jump scare, but the character is still in the same state they were, you know, before no harm's been done. It's just, it's just, ah, and then there you go. And like, okay, so there's that. And then, but then there's like, uh, and I mentioned the movie, the nun earlier, that movie did not have a single false jump scare in it. Every single jump scare did affect the story but they were in my opinion they were so obviously telegraphed that you could be like three two one bah and then the thing happens and i was just like oh you know it's the substance of the jump scare isn't the problem this time it's just the the telegraphing and so if you can make it substantial like it's actually happening like this jump scare serves a a purpose or kicks the story or causes harm or isn't just filler and you don't you know, telegraph it like you're talking about with music or not, not that they need to just not have any music, right. but there is a way that we viewers won't feel insulted. Like all of a sudden the character, the main character is occupying the first third of the, you know, of the screen. And then we've got this two thirds open space behind them, you know, Oh, something's going to happen. The camera pans. And you know, that's what the nun kept doing just over and over. And it's like, okay, well, at least these are happening, but man, this is a Okay, I mean, I, I don't know how substantial these actually are then if they're not executed correctly. So I, I see totally what you're getting. I, I like that. Right on. All right. I agree. So, okay, so my number three, worst, well, I'm saying my number three, like you just said, your number three. So my number three, there we go, emphasis on the wrong word there. My number three worst horror cliche is foolish or stupid character decisions. Now, okay, listen, hold on a second. I understand the need for ridiculous characters who do unreasonable or ill-advised things. I'm not against the inclusion of idiots in horror movies. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is when a horror film actively relies on the protagonist or protagonists constantly making dumb decisions or mistakes in order to facilitate the success of the antagonist. This trope I'm talking about encompasses like a number of smaller tropes, like when the character goes off to investigate a strange noise outside or in the basement or attic without telling anyone, or when the characters are under attack and decide to split up. 
or when the protagonist incapacitates the antagonist, and instead of killing them while they're vulnerable, the protagonist just runs off, delaying the inevitable, padding the runtime. Now, I get that these things can manufacture tension in their own ways. I understand that. Yet, a lot of writers don't seem to care. So my complaint here is that I'm done with the idea, I guess, that characters aren't allowed to be smart or resourceful in the face of horror. Well, everyone except the final girl anyway, right? Well, here's my remedy to this cliche, though. Allow the characters in the story to make all the right decisions. Allow them to strategize in effective ways against their enemy. Allow them the dignity of reason. And then kill them all anyway. That, that right there will show the efficacy of your killer if they're still succeeding against intelligent and crafty protagonists. It's not like you like you can't have an idiot in the group who does the wrong thing and has a great death. That's fine. Just I, I would just say stop with the over-reliance on characters being stupid to advance the plot. I don't mind a bad decision here and there, but how many... I, I, it almost feels like it's the exception, not the rule, when you have a cast of characters who are like who do all the right things but still get picked off. And there's something more horrible about that to me when you do all the right things but it's just out of your hands. You just you just lost. And you know that there's something to that that I really like. It's always a treat when I see those types of movies. So d- does that make sense, Dave Z? Oh yeah, because you want your characters to be smart because <laughs> you care for them more. And let's face it, it's been done for so long that yeah, it's it could be done, you know, in a in a fun slasher or it depends on the kind of movie. Uh, yes, you know, I think you know I'm more accepting of it depending on on the type of movie it is. Like I said, if it's a slasher or maybe a creature feature or something, these are part of what it's almost part of the the charm of those movies. And I'm not saying they have to be complete morons, but those are tropes that, to a degree, can fit in to certain type of, of movies. But if, yeah. you, if you have a serious movie, don't cheapen your movie by relying uh, on lazy writing like that. It, that That's what you're doing because you have, a, a, again, I said this about a, a, a few times tonight, everything else about the movie is great, it's top notch, and then... You take an easy way out <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of trying to come up with something creative, you said, well, let's just have her walk into here and, um, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go turn over here just because we don't have to, we don't have to question it. It's, she's just, who cares? She's disposable. She's dispensable. She's just a, you know, some dumb, dumb teen girl where yeah. it's even worse when they've already established the character to be someone that you're supposed to care about you kind of almost get angry (laughs) because, well, I've kind of lost my, all the feelings I've had for you, I've kind of lost because of your stupid decisions. It's like, you know, and then you don't care as much. And yeah, in this, in 2019, the way horror movies are made now, yeah, it's, you can write everything else. Why can't you write better reasoning for the decisions that are made by these yeah, sure. They're probably exactly. Gonna, they're probably going to get killed anyway, except for if it's if there's a final girl, maybe not, or, or whatever. Sure, sure. You know, it's 2019. I'm with you. However, yeah, in a slasher, I, I give it a little leeway. You know, sure. It, that's part of the fun of a slasher movie. But yeah, I wasn't thinking slasher specifically. I was right. thinking just all movies. But yeah, slashers. There is more of an allowance for that, and it's not yeah. like I'm watching like say 80 slashers where that stuff happens and harping on that. I'm talking if you're making something in 2019. I would like to see a little growth. And, yes. and you're talking about just movies in general. This isn't a slasher, but there was a movie that came out last year 
that I really liked. I'm not going to say the title of it because what I'm about to say is not necessarily a spoiler, but there was a, a very st strong instance in this film where the this is just something that happens in a lot of movies, folks, that you, you've, you've heard it before. I just said it earlier where the protagonist incapacitates the antagonist, the, the person coming after her, and she has every opportunity to, to not only get away if she wants, but kill this person. Even if she doesn't want to kill the person, she can leave. No one's keeping her in this location, and she does, she just doesn't. And that has ruined the movie for a lot of people. And Dave Z, I'm going to tell you the name of the movie. I'm going to bleep it out here in a nicely uh, uh, volumed bleep, by the way. It's the movie. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. In the third act of that movie, we have the, the main the main protagonist gets the better of the antagonist somehow. And instead of doing away with this person, they just are like, oh, now I'll delay the inevitable. And then the, then the whole third act goes from there. It's like, yeah, but now you're gearing up to kill this antagonist now, but you couldn't then? Why are you? Wh why did there need to be a, a forced showdown like this? That this is no, this was padding for runtime, and yeah, and it was just it was a little insulting because this movie's so good. And see, see, that's what that can do. Take a little time to flesh it out, and you can have. That's what made the movie good to me and not great to me. And sorry if uh, you just heard a big bleep there. And Dave Z got to hear the real title, so yeah, I don't know. That, that's just my that's just my my beef with that cliche. I I, I want to see characters in you know in these movies that are coming out in 2019 and beyond. Let's see reason, let's see depth, but let's see the, the let's say it's a slasher, still get the better of them despite their planning, despite their best efforts. There's nothing worse in life, I think, than when we fail despite the best laid plans, you know? And so, yes. <laughs> so yep. yeah, okay, so that, that, that's what I got there. Dave Z, what is your number three worst horror cliche, sir? Okay, I'm going off the grid on, on something here. Uh, oh, yeah. This isn't something I don't think a lot of people think about, but because I've watched so many of these type of movies... Uh, because there's something I love. I, I love movies that deal with the devil and and, and possession and uh, oh yeah, demonic forces and things like that. There's something that's done in many of these movies, and it's almost just like matter of fact at this point. Okay, when's this gonna happen? And that needs to stop. And uh, the the best way I can describe it is my issue is the ease of the characters in in obtaining the services of a paranormal expert. Oh, I like that. And and a Catholic priest always being featured as the person being involved. It's become, it's almost like it's expected. Anytime you see anything, even spoofed these days, there's yep. always a paranormal expert. They always come in. It's very easy. And it's always a Catholic priest. Well, <laughs> the world doesn't necessarily work that way. Yes, the Catholics have been painted that way because of, of movies and uh, the rites of exorcism and stuff. But <laughs> every religion... Why does it always have to be the Catholics? Okay, I, I'm kind of lumping two into one. I, I realize that, but it, they're for the same situation. There's there's evil entities in the house, and they reach out to do something. They always easily find a paranormal expert. That is not an easy thing to do. I don't care who you are. It's like the joke that they said in uh, Poltergeist. You know, um, uh, they, they don't have it. She goes, "We have furniture movers, but we don't." You know, we, they're talking about <laughs> things happening in their house. It's not easy to come across one. I mean, they explain it in The Conjuring because the Warrens happen to be speaking at a place. But then yeah. all these movies, it's like they just pick up a phone and you can find these places anywhere. Uh, now, I confess I've never done this myself, but I, I just find it hard to believe that you can reach out that quickly and find somebody who is a, you know, a paranormal expert to come to your house and they, they have the right credentials. That seems like something that's very rare. It's almost like... Knowing a witch doctor, 
You know. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the, the yeah. way they do it in movies, they make it seem like it's a, it's as common as a dentist. You know. Oh, <laughs> let's get uh, cousin Bob knows this guy over here. Bring him in. Yeah, he, he's the best. He's cleaned many houses. Bring him in. You know, it's it's just overdone. It, it could be so easily. It might even be a fun part of the film. The search sure. to find somebody to come in who's reputable. Wouldn't it be cool to see a movie where a house is being haunted or someone's possessed or something and they go out and they encounter maybe some frauds first or... Oh, hell yeah. Right? Or they show the struggle to get somebody. To me, that would add to the turmoil that's happening in your household. You know what I mean? Well, we can't even get help with this. Who do you who do you get? A, you know, how do you get help for something like this? You could you could make that a whole act of your film if you wanted. It's never been done. I really don't think that anyone spent any real time on trying to find some decent help. Where now it's just like a snap of the fingers or a phone call or you know a text or, or you know go on the computer and type it in paranormal. And yes, they are out there. I'm not that ignorant, but yeah, most of them you know. And I'm not saying this stuff really does exist. What do I know? But I'm saying most of them are not going to be reputable. I just I just don't feel that that's the way to go. I think that they should take more time. Don't make it look so easy to get paranormal guys coming in your house with cameras and, and you know, <laughs> measuring every little thing and hot spots and cold spots <laughs> and everything. And back to the priests. It, do, does the family always have to be Catholic? Don't you right. realize that, that that there's that that Protestants and Lutherans and Methodists and everybody else have people at their parish that if you call them for something, thank you. Yeah, right? It's always the Catholic priest. It's always the white collar. It's always the same thing. It's always and the, Catholics the same. Have the, and the Catholics have the most they have to go through in order to be able to to, <laughs> to perform the rites of exorcism. Like, for instance, I used to go to a you know a non-denominational Protestant Christian church, and I, I live about 10 minutes away from this place now. And if, say, a demon were haunting this house, I know I could go get the pastor there. And just be like, hey, look, homie, like this is happening. We've known each other. You've known me since I was a kid. This is going down and they he'll he'll show up here. And so right. that what the funny thing is, that's the easiest way to do it. I could probably do it in within a day or two, but you never see the I think I can only think of one movie off the top of my head. I'm not saying this is the only one where they actually use Protestant exorcism rather than say the Catholic or like something voodoo. And it was uh it was actually an adaptation of a Frank Peretti book called The Visitation with Edward Furlong. And there was a an exor like an exorcism scene, and they are not Catholic. They're I can't remember I, I don't think they're even Baptist. I think they're just some like non-denominational Protestant Christian. And they they don't even go through the rites because, you know, sort of the Protestants have different beliefs about that. But in any case, you know, you're talking about the difficulty of getting somebody, you know, a spiritual expert in your house, which I totally agree with. And they always go with the Catholics or the voodoo people or the, you know, the, the people with the complicated scientific instruments when the easiest ones that you could probably get is some like Baptist guy who's like, yo, I, I believe in demons around every corner. I'll come there in five minutes. <laughs> like, right. You never see that in movies. And that's the one nope. that you probably could get there, but it's never depicted. I, I would like to see evolution in that story beat myself. Right on. Cool. Cool. I'm glad you like that one. Cool. I went, I went off the grid, but I don't know how many people have thought of that, but, you know, it's something I've always thought about. <laughs> oh, I, I like it. I like that, too. So, okay. So, my number two worst horror cliche, now this one's a little crazy. Bear with me here, folks, is the final girl and her typical supporting cast. So, Suzanne from the NFW podcast wrote on the Watsi Facebook group page that she hates the trope of the final girl. She writes, the final girl in most movies has no reason to be the final girl. The dude, she means the killer, the dude makes some unrealistic mistake and the whiny girl lives. 
<laughs> she does go on. She does go on to say that Sharni Vincent in your next 2013 deserves legit final girl status. That's absolutely true. Now I see where Suzanne's coming from, and I don't disagree. Her standpoint is it's more rooted in logic than metaphors, right? Like the idea that the killer has to make a mistake for the final girl to have a chance. I get that complaint, and I can see why it can sometimes feel both fake and insulting. But my disdain for the final girl and her supporting cast trope, as I have said here, has everything to do with character cliches that don't seem to be going anywhere. And oh sure, you know, Cabin in the Woods, like I already said, wrote its scathing love letter to the horror genre, hoping things would change and evolve. But here we are in 2019 and we're still seeing these wooden, one-dimensional caricatures brought to life in these shows and movies. The jock, the nerd, the skank, the drunk, the do-gooder final girl, they all serve their stereotypical function and for whatever reason, little has changed in 40-something years on this narrative front. Now, listen, we do see small changes here and there, of course. It would be straight-up remiss of my bitch ass to say otherwise. But the cliché, that low-hanging fruit is so easy to grab, and filmmakers still do so all the time because it's easy, it's the simple thing to do. So my remedy is to follow the path that the cabin in the woods laid out. Why not have the jock be the nicest or smartest guy there? Why not have the smart dude also be this, like, cool drunk ladies man? Why not allow the sweet and virginal-seeming final girl to be the first kill? Why not allow the promiscuous-looking girl to be all about, like, sobriety and responsibility and helping her friends? Why not have the geeky girl be the biggest dick there? Why not write nuanced characters who are believable as a cohesive group and who display depth. That's all I'm asking. And it isn't just an... Like I I said about uh, another thing before, you know, it's just a treat when we get to see films that give us those types of nuanced characters. And so, but we still do see, and I watched, I don't want to say the names of these films, but sometimes we still do get this ragtag group thrown together and everything is just like it was in the 80s. And that's fine for then, but it's just the reason The Cabin in the Woods exists is because it's saying, okay, you guys, it worked then, it's become the the cliche, the stereotype, but are we going to change anything up at any point? I love what used to happen, but are we going forward? Is there, are we, are we, are we evolving? Is, are, are we, what are we doing here? And I really like that question. I think that's more my complaint because I don't have a thing against say final girls or, but I do, you know what I'm saying, Dave Z, when you have oh. that formula and no one's deciding, no one's changing it up, no one's working to give it some nuance. But when we do see that, it's always a breath of fresh air. Yes. And so I want to see that be the rule rather than the exception where it's like, oh, you know, starting in the late 20 teens, they, they, they started really just going, uh, you know, giving, giving us better character depth and allowing characters to to breathe more and not be not be so so bound by the formula of the 1980s and 70s, because those worked then. And I love them. I'm not going to sit there and judge those movies based on what I'm saying now. I'm talking about going forward. So I don't know. Does that make any sense, Dave Z? That I, I tell you. <laughs> that's actually brilliant as you were sitting there talking about why not have you know this one not have the same characteristics that you're used to and you know like you said have the jock be yeah. the nice guy and, and etc i started thinking of things in my head and i'm like yeah so simple so, it is it, it's right. not a hard fix right right but what you, but, but when you're saying it it sounds brilliant because while it is a simple concept it's so far removed from anything we ever see it's almost like eureka like wow yeah, it, <laughs> right? it's, it's been in front of my face the whole time, and I haven't thought about it. How would you yes. feel about how about this? A geeky girl who actually happens to be a slut, <laughs> okay? Oh, and, I know tons of those. And, yeah, so do I. <laughs> and how about her becoming the final girl? Right? You, uh, you know, you don't I, see that. Yeah. You see, when have you seen that? 
you know? Rare, uh, the only time I can, well, there, there have been times, yeah, when, when she's not geeky, but yeah, when there, there are times where, like, say, It Follows celebrated, w- w- like, kind of sexuality in a way, because our, our lead girl was, was got, got with a few different dudes in the course of that movie. Well, yeah. And, but we're not hating her for right. it. But yeah, it's, she wasn't geeky, though. She's, you know, very pretty, and, but not slutty. And so, there, you know, there was a sort of a celebration of sexuality there, despite the, you know, the insecurity of this thing lurking. But that's it follows. But I love what you're saying. And, you know, here's the deal. I was watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, which I, I highly recommend that show, everybody. It's that show is Halloween like that. If you when it comes to fall time and getting close to Halloween, folks, binge The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina because Kiernan Shipka, my goodness. Nice. Any, anyways, uh, getting sidetracked there because, man, she, she's she's fantastic. She's great. Yeah. But. There, there are scenes where these jocks are being the jocks. There, there, you know, there's this trans character in the show who's really likable, a good, you know, and a good character. But you know, they got to have somebody mess with her, uh, him rather, and it's the jocks. And I'm just like, you know, the jocks. I, I knew some douchey jocks, but I knew some douchey nerds. I knew yeah. some girls who looked like sluts who'd never slept with a single guy. I, I, I know, like let's make it more like real life like um, one of my best buddies growing up was became was one of the one of one of the quarterbacks of the football team you couldn't have found a nicer guy uh in the entire school he would never have been that guy who's making fun of anybody and he wasn't you know he, he's just he was just a good guy we listened to punk rock we chilling i mean he's chilling with the punkers i'm chilling with the popular people you know like the, everybody's chilling with everybody it was nuanced it wasn't everybody set in their ways and being so staunchly written and why not have that? You know, why not just I, I think it's such an easy fix to look at the character like a person and not like their their role as you are the hoe. You are the smart person. You are. The, I know some of the smartest people, a few smart people I knew back in like college and in high school. They were dicks. You don't want to hang around with them. Like, you know, right. like oh, you, yeah. you wouldn't want them in your movie. So I don't know. I'm just saying I'm talking nuance. I'm talking going forward. It's such an easy remedy, but it almost you have to arrive at that point where it's like, you know, why not switch things up and turn things on their head just a little? So I don't know. That's all I'm asking with this one. Uh, good, good, good call. I, I really like that. Yeah, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dave Z. Yeah, I wish people would make movies like this. Oh. Same here. Same here. Same here. Dave Z, I believe it is your number two worst horror cliche. What do we got, brother? Okay, my number two is um, I'm kind of going back a little bit to uh, something that we've spoken about before, but... This time I'm making um, one aspect of it, the the central complaint. I'm talking about music stingers that have to accompany a scary shot or a jump scare. Ooh, I, I you know, I have thought this wordlessly in my head a million times. Tell it, man. The music stingers, which are as common now as anything. Th- there, there are movies that don't use the music and they are 10 times scarier because they don't use the music. I love the score of a horror film as much as the next guy, maybe more. I will rant, I will rave about scores and how great they are in horror movies. And I listen to them all the time. So I, the appreciation I have for them is, is, is huge. But don't, it isn't necessary to have every time there's a jump or every time something scary happens in the background. You're taking away from the effect, and I don't understand why people don't realize it. It it, it bothers me. It, it really bothers me because I've seen it done without music, and it's much more effective. Something about the Juon movies, and that is one of the things about them that makes them so scary to me. The Japanese films that I hold in such high regard, those first four in that series, 
They don't use that. You just, you hear the, you know, the, you know that she's approaching. You hear the, uh, sometimes, things like that. Yeah. Fine. Or you hear the, the, the cat meow for the boy or something like that. And you know they're coming. But when they come or when they sometimes just appear in the background, you, you'll see a dead person swinging. They'll appear in the background. That's what works. That's what, to me, makes it scary. When you lift up your covers and you see a head, you see eyes looking at you, and it comes up quickly in your face. That's all you need. You don't need the music telling you, saying, okay, jump now with the music. This is going to make it better. I, I think you'd be better suited to put that, 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 loud, um, that loud bang of instruments at a different part of the film when you're not expecting it. I think it would actually work yeah. much better. I mean, it has to make sense for what's happening in the plot at that moment. Yes, you get to do it, you know, you and I sitting here talking. Ah! You know, that wouldn't make much sense. But, I mean, <laughs> there are other parts in the movie where it would be better suited. But having the stinger every single time with every single jump and every single scary shot when you want something creeping or lurking in the background, I don't understand why people think that's a good thing. I think maybe at a, for a time it worked. I think it started innocently enough. I think it started with Friday the 13th and things like that. And, you know, with a, with a quick sure. shot with a jump scare and they would do like the uh, the violin strings. <laughs> you know, I, I could see that. And I think it's grown into these orchestral, you know, <laughs> or, or, orchestral. No, what's the, the part? Orchestral. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I combine uh, orchestral and testicle or something. Okay. <laughs> orchestrical. Um, I have or, or, orchestricals over here, baby. These things make music. Yeah. Anyway. Play uh, my violin, young lady. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> orchestral, you know, these freaking sweets. I don't need that. I, it, it's, it's too much. The Big Bang, the Big Bang should be the scare itself. The Big Bang. Yes. Right? The diegetic sound, the sound that's happening as a result of whatever the, like, say, if the killer is, say, coming through a window or if, yeah, yeah, I, I would like that the sound can be the scare itself rather than the music having to hold your hand. Yes. Yeah. Well, exactly. I think, you know, and what you're talking about and what a lot of us, what we're talking about here is this over-reliance on these conventions. And yeah, the over-reliance of the, the stinger, of the, the audio stinger to tell us when the scare is happening, I think is just so baked into the genre that I bet you people don't even think about it when they're editing. It's just like, okay, the scare happens here. Uh, okay, we'll put the stinger here along with the impact at this point. And, yep. you know, it's just like, you know, I bet, I bet it's just such second nature that people aren't thinking, oh, the diegetic sound itself, this, that is to say the sound that's happening inside the movie, that can be the scare itself. Why not? I like that. Yeah, we've become so conditioned to it. Everyone's just used to it. it it's expected. Well, when it's expected, again, it, it's not as scary. It, it takes away from it. I, I really noticed it in those Juan movies. And of course, they come from Japan. So maybe that's why. Because they don't do okay. it. The different country makes movies a different way. It's always been that way. Different countries just have different film techniques. And yep. that's where I noticed it. And that's what worked on me. And I, ever since then, I was, you know, hoping that, you know, somebody would take cues from that. But... It hasn't happened yet. It's 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 all too common, and sadly, I don't know if that's ever going to change. But no, probably really not. It, I mean, yeah, I wish it would. No, I agree. I'm right there with you, Dave Z. I like it, man. That's a good one. All right then. Well, shoot. My number one worst horror cliche is they were crazy the whole time. <laughs> I knew this Dave was Z. <laughs> you knew it, Dave Z. Party people. The other four <laughs> entries on my list here, okay, are things that while I don't like them, I can deal. You know, I'll get by. But this right here, folks. 
party people listen to me right now, this right here will cause me to hate a film nine times out of ten. Allow me to clarify. This trope I'm talking about here is often given to the viewer in a variety of ways, and I like very few of these. One of the more common uses of this cliche manifests in the form of the unreliable narrator. And it's not that the unreliable narrator device is necessarily bad in itself. It's just the way it's often handled. You might have a film that plays out as a supernatural story right up until the very end when we find out that it was all in the protagonist's head because they're, they're actually mentally ill or even worse. The monsters or spirits turn out to be metaphors for childhood abuse. So what we're seeing is their trauma externalized for our viewing pleasure. I can think of three movies. Folks, three movies off the top of my head without even thinking that pull that stunt. And the reason I can't abide by this kind of writing is because it's all reliant on a twist ending to give context to the whole situation. But you can't have your setup be stronger than your twist. You can't have your twist be weaker than your setup. And that's what these most of these stories do. So don't give me the devil, the straight up devil for 90 minutes and then think you're going to blow my mind by making it schizophrenia in the final five. And listen, as for those movies that leave it open to interpretation, if you're giving me, if you're giving Mr. Watson... The choice as to whether the monster in the film is real or imagined, I'll choose real 10 times out of 10. Why not? The only reason a story would have the monster be in the character's head is so that it can suit a metaphor. But guess what? A monster that's real in the scheme of a film can also be a metaphor. So you're not impressing me with the rhetoric that a mental illness twist ending somehow trumps the supernatural premise in a horror story, or even worse. <laughs> you get, I'm getting passionate here. You get these endings where the protagonist suddenly realizes that he or she has been the antagonist the whole time. I can think of a beloved French film that did that, and I hate it. Not because it doesn't make sense like some people think. I think it makes perfect sense in the scheme of the story. It's just a, a, a reveal that has been played out for decades, and that's right there. That right there is what irks me, folks, especially if you're a reader, that this cliche manages to, manages to persist somehow in the 21st century when it was already a dated literature device before any of us listening to this were born. Hell, I watched this awful horror movie a couple years back where the ending revealed that nothing we saw in the film actually happened. It was just the main protagonist sort of thinking to herself that, Everything could go bad as she makes this, you know, makes this decision here. Everything might go bad if I if I go down this road and then we see it play out in her head. And that's what the whole movie was. And man, what a cheat. And isn't that often the deal with these? They were crazy the whole time endings. How many times do we see writers set up some deep, intriguing mystery, some inescapable evil, some massive doom only to find that, whoops, we've written ourselves into a corner. So let's make it all a dream or part of the character's psychosis. I I'm sorry, I can't watch those movies. Now, look. Okay, there are films out there, which I won't name because of spoilers involved, but there are films out there that do exactly what I'm talking about, but they do so in fantastic ways. But these films are a cut above. They're well written on all fronts, and they're taking that twist to another level. So my remedy for this trope is to, is to just stop it. Like, don't do it. Cut it out. Read some books from 200 years ago. Literally, I'm not making that number up. From 200 years ago, where the same junk was going down, I realized that you need to do some rewrites to elevate the material to subvert expectations. For instance... A film I watched last year that I happened to adore, wholehearted, adore wholeheartedly teased the viewers in the third act by momentarily making us think that maybe the the otherworldly things we'd just seen so far were nothing more than the delusions of a mentally unstable person. But then, just when you settle into that idea, they slam the supernatural evil right back into your face, and the story just goes full-on awesome from there. After it's over, you're not debating as to whether or not the protagonist was crazy the whole time. You're debating why he or she was crazy the whole time and how that might or might not make her susceptible to evil. See what this does? This takes the shoddy mental illness trope 
and weaves it into the fabric of the story without sacrificing the supernatural premise and without using it as an ineffective surprise twist. It's genius, really, and I wish I could say the name of the film. I'm going to tell you, Dave Z, right now, and I'm going to bleep it out. It's yeah, I knew it. Yeah, <laughs> yep. If you've seen it, folks, if you've seen this unnamed, if you heard that beep, folks, if you've seen whatever that beep was, you can probably, you might be able to guess what I'm referring to. And if not, you have a good movie, a good movie ahead of you to see how that handles my least favorite horror cliche masterfully. So I'm just saying really is just if you're going to do that ending, you you need to elevate it. And there are movies that do it and I could name them. I'm not going to, but it, it can't just be they're crazy. That's the twist. They were doing that 200 years ago in books and it's been old. It's been old since like the cars were old, like stop <laughs> like we and if you're but if you're going to do it, it needs to be done differently. It, you, like if that's all I'm saying. So mm-hmm. I'm going to get too passionate. I'm going to scale back. Dave Z, that about does it for me. Have you got any anything to say about that before you go into your number one? Yeah, I'll keep it quick. It's a tired trope and, and people rely on it too much. It's been overdone. I understand why it got so popular and there was a certain movie that kind of, and it's not exactly what you're saying, but it had to do more with a, um, I guess, I guess it could be, it is mental, but more of a split personality thing. But okay. when that happened, it kind of, it kind of did it in a way it hadn't been done before. And that was great, but that was 20 years ago and that was a great yep. movie, but people are still using it. And that's lazy. It's lazy to not do it. It's thinking that, that the viewer is still into that and that they're just like, well, they ate it up 20 years ago and they're going to still eat it up or we're going to keep feeding it to them. It's just, you got to move on. You got to move past it. If you're going to use it, it's just like you said, put a spin on it at least. Put something, yeah, change it a bit. Don't make it the same tired thing. It's it's terrible. It's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flash it back to wrestling of all things. In, in, okay. in, the, in the late 90s, there was a big thing going on. Uh, and WCW, we had the NWO, and it was headed by Eric Bischoff, and he ran the company. So he's running the company in character, and, well, and in real life to a degree. But he's running the company, but he's also the evil guy on the screen running the company, and he's going to hold all the good guys down because he's a bastard. Now, on the other channel, WWF, you had the evil Mr. McMahon, who, yes, in real life does run the company, but he played a character on the show. He's running yeah. the company, and he's making all these decisions, and he's making life hell for, for Steve Austin and other good guys. Well, guess what? It's 2019, and they still have these these heel, these bad guys commissioners running shows it's and i complain about that it's one of the reasons interesting oh dude they haven't gotten over that hump yet see before that happened they never even had commissioners and and guys they just had a guy come in every so often to make a decision and now they still recycle the same shit over and over and over and that's what they're doing with that trope there it's recycled it's you're gonna have to put a spin on it and if you're not putting a spin on it stop just stop it's too you're insulting our intelligence so (laughs) <laughs> I agree. I'll, I'm with yep. you. <laughs> yep. Okay. Right on. Okay. Well, Dave Z, g- give us your number one worst horror cliche, sir. Okay. This is something that I think that people could be a lot more creative with. I understand why they have to do it, but I don't see any creativity and it, it isn't that hard to do it. And I'm calling it the cell phone excuse. And okay. Si- okay. S- simply put that line that has to happen in every film about the cell phone, why later on they're going to be helpless. I don't have... Uh, you know, you always get that one little line. Oh, yeah. You have any reception on here? Oh, no, buddy. Nope. Shit. What do we do? Oh, <laughs> man. All that sucks. Oh, we can't play iTunes or whatever. You know, every movie, this happens. And you're better off either not even having that line. Because if you think about it, how many movies through the course of history, horror movies, has there been a ho- in somebody's house? 
where they have a house phone, where they haven't called out and nobody complained. Matter of fact, the movie you were just talking about earlier, there's a scene mm-hmm. and somebody is up in a corner sawing their head off. How come the other character never thought for a second to go over to the freaking rotary phone in the house and call out and say, hey, there's some strange shit afoot in my house right now? Doesn't yeah, happen. sure. And I'm not picking on that film. That's just the first yeah, yeah. thing I thought of. It, this happens in many movies. This is what a horror movie is. You don't have to try so hard to give an excuse as to why th- they can't use the cell phone, why they're going to be in danger. Why not be creative? Why not? And I understand that's why they set some movies in the past. But why not yep. make it modern and maybe have kids? Because it usually happens in slasher type films and things like that. But maybe have it that the kids are away at a camp and at that camp, you're only allowed to have your cell phone an hour a day. Kind of like how my daughter has to live her life. You know, it, <laughs> it, it's a camp for one thing or another. Band camp, yeah. this, that, whatever. These kids are away at, the, at this facility or this camp or whatever it is. And they're only allowed cell phone use between 3 and 4 p.m. So they're taken away. They're locked up in you know, the guy that runs the place's office. They can't get the cell phone. Why don't they do that? Why don't they have it? And I'll tell you what, a lot of cell phones now, I'll tell you what, smartphones, I know how the iPhones work. You got to use your thumbprint to open them a lot of times. And if you don't use the thumbprint, you got to type in a code. Those two things, there's so many places you can go with that, that would work, that would be fun. Like a code takes time. So that's going to take a few seconds. You could have things happen in there. Why not, or why not slice off a freaking guy's thumb so so his thumbprint freaking doesn't work or, or, or something. Just yeah. be creative. Be great, or just have you know someone that's going to be in a, in a situation later where it would be advantageous for them to dial out on their phone. Maybe that character is grounded from their phone. Maybe there are you know kids are going on a trip, they're going away somewhere. Oh, geez, what happened, Bob? You know, uh, parents took the phone away. They caught me watching porn or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they know that you guys will be here, and you guys are going to be attached to your phone so much that I'm not going to have much time to do it. But if I need one, I'll use yours. There are so many things that a writer can come up with besides just, I don't have reception. Do you guys? Oh, no, man. Oh, well. You know what I mean? It's just, and it wouldn't bother me so much if if, if it wasn't seen in so many modern movies. They always yeah. have to address what's going to be the cell phone excuse. What's going to be, why later are they going to encounter trouble? Just just be creative. You're, if you're creative enough to write a film with all these things going on in it, why not spend a little time, a little more time on a good reason why cell phones can't be used? Dave Z, I love it. it. And, and I love it because it, and I think everything we're talking about here puts a demand on the writers and directors to really really give things more nuance and more and more depth to him because for instance like you know when in a movie when two characters need to establish like say that they're brother and sister right and there are two ways you can do this one is effective one is one is garbage one is like as my sister you should know that mom (laughs) doesn't like the blah 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 or instead how about this girl walks up to the to the boy you don't know the nature of their relationship he's like hey asshole mom called call her back already all right. Yeah, fine. Thanks. Right. Boom. They don't have to say who they are. You just know, oh, okay, they're brother and sister. You just did it with that. That's, that's what this cell phone trope needs is that type of just, and it's not hard to do. It's just, you know, well, it's just a way to execute it. That's the difference between those two examples I gave was, oh, hey, how about our cell phones? Do you think they work out here in the middle of the wilderness? No, they sure don't. Oh, shoot. If only they did. Well, I guess we won't use those. I mean, I like how they did it in 30 Days a Night, where in the very beginning of the movie, uh, somebody destroys all the cell phones. 
Right. Yes, absolutely. Or so how about out. what they did in Get Out? Remember, the girl kept unplugging his thing when it was charging. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. You can, yeah, you can do these things or you can live where I do, folks, and have Sprint. And let me tell you something. I don't know <laughs> if any, any of you like Sprint, but man, Sprint has been trash for me. I can go a mile in any direction and not have any signal. So I'd be the guy who they're just like, uh, who wouldn't even bring my phone. And then somebody's like, what? You didn't bring your phone? I'd be like, no. <laughs> It's useless. <laughs> right. It's useless when I'm in town. So, yeah, no, I, I would like to <laughs> see better writing in that regard because we it's something that cell phones are so ubiquitous in everyday life that we have to there has to be a workaround. It's almost like with found footage, how if you don't explain why they're holding you, 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 sh- you really should explain how and why they're still holding the camera. Well, I, I think I've, I've explained that. I'll interrupt you. Oh, I've ex- no, I've there are. No, that. there are lots of great ones that, ex- well, that one. keep, like doesn't need to be said. Doesn't money. Or that's that. the answer. Money, yeah, money. In a situation, if you survive, you're going to make so much money off photographing these things. That, that's how I look at it. That's what I would do. I'm like, or the GoPros. Yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah, gonna, the I'm GoPros gonna... are attached to you, so you so you can just like uh, what was it that uh, that movie Afflicted? I don't want to say what subgenre it is because that's oh, a spoiler. Yeah. But uh, Afflicted is a found footage one where that whole trope is handled well because the cameras are attached to them. Right. So it's like, oh, no matter what they do, they don't have to worry about not filming because it's going to film no matter what. Or those wartime photographers who won't drop the camera even when people are dying left and right. You can have right. one of those as your guy. That's a that's see, that's a clever workaround. And the money, like you said, and I think, yeah, the cell phones need deserve a better treatment and acknowledgement, I think. I'm right there with you. Right on. Yeah, I've I've mean to talk about that for the longest time and it happens so many movies. It's so kind all these things have become so common that we brought up that it's just like they're second nature and it's and it's too bad it's, it's in a genre that that we love and they could be corrected pretty easily i mean who are we oh, yeah. to come up with some some ideas just just you know spitballing here so you know oh, for sure i i saw in my head some really good scenes of you know maybe the the final girl or final guy you know regarding cell phones finally gets access to a cell phone but can't you know unlock the thumbprint but he yeah. happens to know whose phone it is and they're dead in the other room where the killer might be so they got to sneak in there and it could be this cool stealth stealthy scene where they got to get in there while the killer's you know maybe moving through the bodies or you know or, or moving through the halls of this camp or whatever and they got to get back to this cabin because their body's laying there and they can you know get, t- get them to touch the phone and you know finally get it working like uh, I, I would love to see a scene like that Yes, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Heck nice. yeah, man. Or have a situation where he cut, he, he removes his, his uh, thumb or hand or whatever. It's already been sliced off and he finally accomplishes it. And then he realizes when he puts it on there that because he's cold and dead, it's not going to work. And then oh. he gets screwed. Oh. <laughs> that would be i like that that's mean spirited man oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well shoot okay well <laughs> daisy that that does it for me i mean any last words at the end of this portion of the show no i'm gonna say one thing tell it because i said i had six i'm just gonna say it quick and we're oh, gonna go we're gonna i forgot about on. that sorry folks it, does, it doesn't count i'm just gonna move on to the end of the show just stop saying based on actual events when it's really not and i'm leaving it at that okay i'm down with it i'm down with that folks well everybody that concludes our horror deep dive segment which brings act two of this horror show to a close it is now time for the wet z party horror show showtime segment to commence It's showtime! 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 
My friends, we're here in the third act of the party, and it's showtime. This is the film review portion of the episode, and this episode's feature review is of We Are Still Here 2015. If you're a first-time listener, here's how we conduct these reviews. We'll begin with a synopsis of the film, give you some quick film setup, and then we'll give you all our likes, our dislikes, and finally we'll conclude with our final thoughts and ratings of the film. Folks, we keep it absolutely spoiler-free in this section of the show, so if you have not yet seen this film, you are free to keep on listening so as to determine whether or not it's for you. Synopsis time, my friends. In this chilling, modern ghost story, a couple finds themselves haunted by vengeful spirits after they move to a rural town that harbors a horrifying secret. Dave Z, listen to me. I had to scour the internet to find a suitable synopsis for this film, you know, so I settled for this simple and vague one on Amazon Prime here. I like it. It keeps it mysterious. Everything else is a little too uh, spoiler heavy, just even in the synopsis, you know? You, so remember last show I bleeped it out? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, getting into film setup, my friends, what we have here in the story is an older couple, Paul and Anne, who have just lost their adult son in a car accident. So in their grief, they pack up and move to a relatively secluded house in a small rural New England town, 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 in an attempt to start over fresh. Now, here in the first few minutes of the film, Anne, played by the beautiful Barbara Crampton, begins to feel as though their deceased son Bobby might be there with them in this new house. And it isn't too long before they discover that their house has a dark history and that there might be something much bigger than even that going on around them. So that's film setup, Daisy. Uh, would you want to start us off with a like or you want me to keep uh, keep, uh, keep on blabbing? Go ahead, blab, blab away, buddy. Okay, you know what? You usually start. I'll start this time. My first like has to do with the atmosphere of the film. And of course, I, I suppose I am referring to the cold, bleak, and oppressive winter setting because that most certainly adds to what I'm saying here, but what really stands out to me every time I watch this is the film's mature tone. There's a certain, what word am I looking for? A certain refinement that this film possesses that you seldom see in these haunted house movies that might elect to feature a younger cast. Our leads here are in their 50s, and since the film appears to be catered toward an older demographic, it's imbued with a sophistication of sorts that I find respectable. D uh, Dave Z, did you get that from the film at all? Well, that that's just part of, um the 70s aspect of this there's lots of 70s things going going on here in, in the you know what takes place it takes place in the 70s doesn't it well i'm not 100 percent sure i was gonna I believe, ask you about that i believe in the wiki it says it takes place in like 76 or something like that okay well that that's great but the thing is horror in the 70s was a lot of it was adult horror and this yeah. is adult horror it's it's centralized you know it's central characters are adults. You don't see that a lot this day and age. So I think that was done, you know, with intent. So it fits right into the whole gimmick of the film. And I dig it for that. Good observation because I don't have anything in my notes about the 70s aesthetic, even though that you just, yeah, you just tied that in perfectly because it does take place in the 70s. And, you know, as you can tell from the absence of cell phones and all these things, it, 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 it has a timeless feel. But if somebody were to say, hey, this is a 70s throwback or not 70s throwback, but a you know, 70s period piece, it's like, oh, of course it is. So, yeah. <laughs> good good observation, Dave. Very astute. Uh, what, what what like have you got for us, buddy? Okay, when when you really get to the basics of me uh, <laughs> and the things I like in horror, I like many different types of horror, but I don't want to say above all, but one of the things I love and always have loved is gore. And Ooh. I've, I've always been a gore hound, and the kills in this movie are all great. We have gore galore, and I did not remember that. Oh! 
Uh, this is yeah. my second view, and like I've said many, many, many times, it's all about the second view, second view Dave, etc. Uh, I did not remember the kills being so delicious. Yeah, loved that stuff. Oh yeah, and I'll piggyback right off you on those special effects, man. The, the practicals here are off the hook, especially when we're talking about the third act and the events that unfold there, and I'll just leave it at that lest I say too much, but... The, also, the character design of the spirits in the film looks fantastic. I read that it took two hours to apply the makeup to each of the spirits and like an hour to remove that makeup. And so if there is CGI involved in this film, I'm sure, and I'm sure there is, it's simply used to enhance the already engaging practical effects, just like with the void. And I can dig that the hell out of that all day long, man. I love the way they looked. I Oh, yeah. Oh, it was kind of reminiscent in a way of the... Um, the antagonist in the fog just a bit but but these were these were more um you know deep fried but still oh yeah <laughs> deep deep fried indeed yeah for a reason yeah wow I, yes the i believe i opened up a topic of conversation in our watsi facebook group like asking what people thought about we are still here and just just gotta say you know before we keep going with likes here that people were over the moon about this movie and I'm really happy. And I, uh, one of our one of our friends said that they loved, uh, yeah, the special effects. But also uh, another one said it's a bit of a love letter to Carpenter and Fulci, which of course you know I can see all the, all day long with the fog and uh, House by the Cemetery. So heck yeah. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So so Davesy, this next like is dumb of me, but <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> I absolutely loved how much whiskey they were all drinking in this movie just straight up pouring and sipping no ice no chasers folks that's what's up i'm not i'm not sure if the listeners know this but i'm a whiskey man myself if i'm at a bar and even feel a slight hesitation about what i'm ordering it, it just pops out of my mouth i'm like double jack sometimes on the rocks i i don't i don't know i don't know will there be rocks today i never can quite tell but uh, you know, it's been hot out lately, Dave Z. So, yeah, sometimes there will be a little more rocks than usual. But back to the movie. It was like every occasion in the film called for whiskey. Everyone who enters that house before the third act of the film, because none of the people in the third act get a drink. Uh, <laughs> but uh, everybody who goes in that house sits down for whiskey. The dudes, the ladies. It, it's universal, man. I love it. There's even <laughs> there's even a part where Barbara Crampton's character, Anne, is trying to get her husband, Paul, to get along with Larry Fessenden's strange hippie-like character. And she's like... If you're nice, then I'll keep pouring. <laughs> I don't oh, know. It, yeah. just, it, it just delighted me to see that. I was just smiling from ear to ear. So, <laughs> Dave Z, what have you got for us with your next like, my friend? Well, we kind of touched on it in conversation, but I'm going to just say the many nods to um, other horror movies. Mm-hmm. And done the right way, not shoved down your throat. This was actually something I was considering. When we when we we're talking about our deep dives, I when we, the first thing I thought of when we were covering this movie, because that's what I remembered the most about the movie, was the many nods that, that were in the movie, and a, a good topic of discussion could have been uh, when does it go too far? How do you feel about um, you know nods and winks in horror oh. movies? And you know this is an instance where it's done just right because a lot of them are inside. It's not, you're not being beaten over the head with it. I mean, yes, you mentioned Carpenter and The Fog and Fulci, um, what do you call it? Um, House by the Cemetery? House by the Cemetery, The Beyond. That one scene was right out of The Beyond. The guy even had the same name. Uh, You had Joe the Plumber, and I think this was Joe the Electrician, or the other way around. Either way, you had that stuff going on. You have the Changeling, uh, 
the ball, uh, the piano key. I don't want to get mm-hmm. too deep into it because a lot of stuff is spoiler. Just yep. even even some names that are thrown out there are little nods, little you know, little little nuggets that if you are familiar with all these things they're talking about, you can just appreciate it even more. And it's done right. Like like I've said, you can sometimes overkill it, and sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes it. it it doesn't seem like uh, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery or, or whatever they say. It doesn't always really, you know, I don't always really believe that. But the way they did it here, it was the, uh, the perfect blend. So I agree, Dave. And, and, and speaking to homage, there was even a line I caught this time around that I never had, had, had noticed before. It's where uh, one of the characters is explaining the history of the house one of the neighbors of our main characters comes over for a quick whiskey with his wife and the four of them are sitting down having some whiskey and talking about the house and one of them mentions and I won't say in what context because it does get a, a little into spoilers but he mentions the university over in Essex County which is a Lovecraft reference right. and I was like yo okay so it, it, it's subtle like that that I never caught I've, this is my third time viewing this and I hadn't noticed those first two times so yeah, uh, good, 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 uh, good observation yet again, Dave Z. So, my next like, my biggest like of the film actually has to do with how this story works to subvert expectations. Now, I'm sure we're all readily familiar with the formula with a capital F that governs a great deal of supernatural thriller, haunted house horror movies, right? Like slashers or zombie movies, there are certain recurring story beats that we've come to expect when we watch these types of films, and. We Are Still Here very cleverly sidesteps a great deal of these in order to put a different spin on the Haunted House story template. In Act 2 of the show, I expressed frustration with the way many writers of these sorts of supernatural films approach the internal logic or the rules of the world of their film. That is to say, much of the time, these rules are ill-defined, if at all. But in this movie, the antagonists have their reasons why they're doing what they're doing, and they have their specific modus operandi, their way of doing what they do, which gives the story some real cohesion. With these things in place, okay, the expressions of power that we see the antagonists do all make sense in the context of the film. That's all I ask from these movies, folks. Now, it's tricky to talk more about this without giving away spoilers, so I'll speak in general terms when I say that if we're having a conversation about how this film goes against the grain regarding this subgenre's normal cliches, then I feel compelled to point to the third act of the movie and the way things go there. There's a scene involving the wonderful Larry Fessenden that kicks off the action, so to speak, and everything just goes straight to hell from there. From a pacing standpoint, it couldn't be better, but if we're talking about the subversion of expectations, the movie goes from familiar supernatural territory right into just insanity, just crazy town. Now, usually, okay, and I think you, I think all, Dave Z, you've noticed this, I think we all have. When haunted house movies reach their climax, they feature scenes of people being dragged down hallways or out of bed. This, I think, is meant to represent how powerful the spirit in the movie has now become. It can fling open doors, break windows, throw people around, right? But in We're Still Here, we're given an entirely different type of third act that I found absolutely shocking and marvelous. After I saw this movie back in 2015, it hit me that from now on, and I mean this, folks, from now on, Haunted house movies have got to contend with the fact that We're Still Here exists because simply dragging a person out of the bedroom and down the hallway isn't going to cut it anymore. This movie really upped the ante in a substantial way as far as this subgenre goes, and it's criminally underrated, I think. It's not every day that haunted house movies, especially the independent ones, give us serious gore 
and a legit body count. Uh, right, Dave? You, I mean, you already said it. So <laughs> to, to wrap up this like, though, about how the movie subverts expectations, I'll just finish by pointing out that the film's narrative is more than just people move into old house and house is haunted. Nah, there are layers to peel back here, bigger things going on, and I have nothing but respect for that. Hell, this film even features dream sequences and they're done right. If that's not a resounding endorsement already, folks, I don't know what is. Dave Z, what do you think, brother? Uh, am I making sense here? Oh, absolutely, yes. This is, the sad thing is that what you said isn't going to come to fruition. We're still going to see your yep. run-of-the-mill haunted house movies that are just the same stuff we've seen before and we will continue to see. But then again, that's what makes this movie special. So yes, yes, that that's fine. Let, let it stand apart. There's something I, I like about it because these these ghosts do something that normally ghosts don't do, and that's yep. all I can say because then it goes into spoiler. I think that's I think it's better served to someone who hasn't seen the movie just to experience it because that is like a major like for me. Like wow, you don't oh, yeah. see that. You don't see that. Ghosts don't behave this way usually and commit X in that manner. And I'll leave it at that for now, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, well, have you got any other likes you want to highlight? Mine are basically the technical aspects of it. Like I said, this is my second time. And the first time, it didn't leave a bad taste in my mouth. It met, But I, I, I was left with enjoying the movie. But my, my initial complaint was I didn't understand what was happening until the end credits. And I didn't like the fact that I had to wait till the end credits to get the grasp of it. That was my ah. complaint. I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. But I just looked back at it a, a, as a good movie, and that's it. This time, as soon as I started the movie, I immediately noticed quality, and which I, I, I wasn't recalling any of that. And by quality, I mean production values, the, the shots, the wide shots, um, almost you know, Carpenterist like Dean Cundey in the in the early hollow, you know, in the early Carpenter movies. A lot of wide shots, um, s slow moving shots, things that that I that I like. Uh, the score, which was uh, basically a lot a lot of piano. I love when I love when it's keys in the score and it's yes piano and heavy bass, which is a, an unusual mix. Um, it's it's modernized. It's you used to see piano, uh, you know, keyboards in, in the '70s. But the addition of that heavy bass uh, is more uh, modern filmmaking. So it worked that way, and, and I, I dig it. So just just the production aspects, the way it was made. Yeah, and when you you know what I noticed that bass as well, and when you couple that with the clear '70s setting and aesthetic, it it does. It, it connects the viewer, you know, to I guess modern sensibilities with that throwback, and I, I really, I really enjoyed that too. I, I good, yeah, good. I, I, did, I don't think I had put words to it before that, but I, I rather like that. So, I have one dislike that I want to highlight. Well, unfortunately, I can't talk about it here openly in the spoiler-free portion of the show. Suffice it to say that there is a remarkably intriguing dynamic between this film's antagonists. And there is a facet of this dynamic that I felt warranted a little more clarification. We get a powerful reveal that you could argue is well kept in the periphery of the film, but I guess I wanted more. Nothing too showy and sensational, just a little more. And that's all I can say, which I'll talk about more in the after party. So, you know, just kind of file that back away if you plan on joining us there or, you know, watch the movie, then join us there after you after you view it. Well, Dave, are, do you have any dislikes or any or are you ready to do final thoughts and ratings? 
My dislikes are basically things that we can't talk about here. Okay. Uh, but I can some... How can I say this? I don't understand the actions of the antagonists and I uh, when it when it only when it applies to the family that that just moved in okay and I, and I, I, I got you okay and I don't understand the actions of the townspeople in a certain respect it has to do with uh, one thing in specific and I, I can't get into it I'm hoping that you can answer these questions for me maybe okay. it's just something I didn't picked up pick up on and we'll see because that will definitely raise my rating if you can clear it up for me i'll be like okay but i i think that at least one of those things you're not going to have an answer to and maybe i'm wrong if so okay i'm i can come back and, and change the rating officially but uh, okay we'll, we'll, but those are my dislikes i just don't get some things in the plot i don't think they were explained but we'll find out um you know in the after party all right, sounds good. So, okay, then, folks, we're going to get into our final thoughts and our ratings. So I've got to hand it to this film for going above and beyond what most haunted house narratives give us these days. It's a breath of fresh air in this subgenre, and I do want to say that supernatural movies, haunted house and devil films, th these are my favorite types of horror films. I don't want to sound like I'm hating on this subgenre because I hold it dear. I'm just hard on it. <laughs> hard on. I'm just hard on it because I, I'm dumb. Because I want to see it evolve. And I do think that We Are Still Here is a step in that correct direction. When the film begins, it's tempting to believe that you'll be getting a subtle, slow burn style indie horror movie, but that's not what this thing is at all. If anything, I would have been more than fine with the 84 minute runtime being like 94 to 100 minutes, but sometimes good things come in small, unassuming packages, and this is exactly what we've got on our hands here. If you're looking for a, a maturely executed, brutal, and smart haunted house movie that bleeds HP Lovecraft and Lucio Fulci, then you found the right film. I'm giving this a 9.25 out of 10. It was in my top five of 2015, maybe even top three. I think I had it as a 9.5 then. So I wonder, I wonder how inconsistent I'm being from those many years ago. But hey, we'll just we'll keep the 9.25. What do you think, Dave Z? What, what have you got for us? Okay, uh, I can tell you that I enjoyed it more this time around. But I, I picked up on the quality right away. I was able to understand the plot more this time. It's all about that damn second view. I, I, I'll keep repeating myself till my last breath. But, uh, you know, this time, that 2016, pardon me, 2015 was such a banner year, in my opinion. I, I loved that year. And this movie did not make my top. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of sniffing closer. At the time, I gave it a, a seven and a half. This time, I enjoyed it more. I want to go higher. But I don't know if I can because of things that we're going to get into with the after party. But okay. I still enjoyed it more than that. I, I still will say it's an 8 out of 10. Nice. I, yeah, I still will say if you haven't seen it, you have to do yourself a favor and see it. Especially if you like adult horror. If you like ghost stories. Things that we don't get to see much. And... It really does have something for everybody because, like I said, you have ghost haunting stuff. You have characters that are that are likable, good performances, and if you're a gore hound, you get some good kills. So anyone listening, do yourself a favor and check it out. Very good. Well, all right, folks, that does it for our spoiler-free review of We Are Still Here 2015, thus concluding our Showtime segment, which brings Act 3 of this horror show to a close. Dave Z, that's number four, my man. 
four episodes in the bank. Well, what, what you thinking, my my friend? Four, four. I'm feeling good. Uh, every show, I'm more and more relaxed and more. I, uh, you and I, as far as being on the mics, it's it's just getting better. Our our chemistry is. Uh, I could literally feel it every time I get on to record. That, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that we're just getting better, and and I hope that that's translating to the listeners as well because. I'm just having a blast, and uh, you know we're only four shows in, and I think we're we're, we're almost we're almost hitting mid-season stride, and and I love that. So I'm, yeah, I'm, same I'm same here. Yeah, well, yeah, this one was a bit more complicated for us to record, folks, as both mine and Dave Z's schedules were a little bit too jam-packed to record when we normally prefer to. But hey, we we, we did it. It's here. We're doing it. Uh, I'm happy with the content, and I, I'm I'm Dave. I'm agreeing with everything you said. I can't wait to get to the after party, folks. Only one more order of business to attend to before we wrap things up, and that's where we choose the film we'll be reviewing next show. If you're new to the show, if this is your first time listening, then here's the deal. At this point in every episode, Dave Z will come prepared with a movie. Mr. Watson, we'll come prepared with a movie. This time we'll be selecting a film from 2014, and neither of us knows what the other has in mind. We will flip a coin, and uh, using a little coin flipping app I got here ready on screen, and then we'll see whose pick makes it to the next show. It's my turn to flip the coin, folks, and it's Dave Z's turn to call it in the air. We did it the other way around last episode. Dave Z, are you ready, my friend? Want me to flip that coin? Yeah, flip away. Okay, and call it. Tails. It just landed on Tails. Oh, man, what to do, what to do. <laughs> just landed on Tails, yep. Uh, oh. It's the justflipacoin.com is what, what I use for that. So it landed on Tails. So uh, what, what have you got, my friend? Well, it's 2014 gonna, film. I'm going to do something that I've mentioned before, and I'm going to talk about movies. Yes, movies that I've Ooh. mentioned before. I, I've talked okay. about doing this, and I've talked, and I've mentioned both of these movies uh, when it comes to what, what we may cover. I am going to let you pick between two. What do you oh. think of that? And if you can't pick, you can flip another coin. Okay. 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 The two that I'm bringing out there, and the reason, well, I might even give the reason. I'm going to put two out there. And we've talked about one a lot because it had something to do. It was similar uh. to another movie we covered recently, and it came up. And the other movie I thought about bringing in a couple times, and I wasn't sure of the year. Well, I'm sure about everything now. The two movies I'm putting on the table are... Starry Eyes and The Canal. So oh, okay. You All right. So pick or flip. It's all up to you. Here's what I'll do because the 2014 film that I had I had selected and would have selected if it had been my if it had landed on heads would have been 2014's Starry Eyes. But ah. to keep it completely in the spirit of the coin toss and in just impartial, just honesty all around. Let me, uh, Dave Z, assign. Uh, what do we want to do? Heads or tails for for which one? Oh, um, heads of the canal, tails, um, starry eyes. Okay. No, 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 oh. no. Other way around. Okay. Because the head has an eye on it and it's starry eyes. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Let me hit the flip button right here and it's spinning, spinning, spinning. Landed heads. Oh, wow. Look at that. I made that last second decision. How about that? Starry yeah. <laughs> eyes was meant to be picked. I had actually uh, had flipped it um, be- before you said that. So it was just waiting on heads. I was about to say the canal and then you changed it. <laughs> wow. Amazing. <laughs> well, folks, Starry Eyes appears to be the winner. Let's give a little uh, taken from Amazon Prime. The synopsis of that film goes as follows. In the city of dreams, a desperate actress will do whatever it takes for the role of a lifetime, no matter what the cost. 
vague synopsis there, and I dig it because they, they get they get a little too wordy some of these uh, these synopses. And so, yes, party people, that is the film we'll be doing for the next episode coming to you in September. Dave Z, I, I love both those choices you you made because if it had been if 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 it had landed on me, I was planning on doing the same thing to Starry Eyes or the town that dreaded sundown 2014. Uh, and gonna have us flip yeah so town that dreaded sundown 2014 was my number one movie of that year oh it was okay yes yeah oh no that's right i think you you had reviewed that hadn't you you guys had reviewed that on on exploding heads right um no the only time i don't think i've ever given it a full review. oh okay because yeah folks our rule is that if one of us has reviewed it on a past show we won't put it in the running and so neither of us has done the canal or starry eyes ergo it works for some reason i had a memory of you guys talking about the town that dreaded sundown but i wasn't sure if it was just quickly in passing or if it was a full review that's that's what sucks about these things is you know so everybody's memory and mine included mine most of all well maybe yours more than mine dave (laughs) everybody's memories is it can be a little bit short especially when you're talking about reviews from like two three years ago so okay well that's shoot that's good to know i'm a little little sad that uh yeah, that, well, well, not really. Starry Eyes is, it was was my number one of 2014. So, but nice. but I've only watched it two times while being trashed. Uh, well, once being kind of sober, and then another time where it was just like I might as well have not have pressed play. This next one will be my first like real sober watch to analyze it and just to really think it through. Can't wait for that, folks. So that'll be coming to you all in September. Dave Z, why don't we take a moment to give our plugs? Where can listeners find more of you, my friend? Okay, well, just about all of it can be found on horrorfeed.com, Horrorfeed Network, and on um, all those podcatchers on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and all that stuff. And Exploding Heads will be coming out with something soon. ABC's A Hidden Horror will be coming out with something soon. Uh, Don't know when for either, but probably in the very near future. And, uh, Man, I, I, Dave Z, I forgot to talk to Jamie about the W episode of ABCs. We talked, she and I talked so long ago about it, and it's probably the only way I'll ever get to podcast with her and Brian. What do you think, Dave Z? Is it too late for me to <laughs> message her and be like, let me in on that W, or should I just leave well enough alone? No, of course get on it. Please, please do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I, I already, I have my choice, and neither of you picked it on the on the last episode for your W episode. And uh-huh. yeah, so I, I've, I've got something, and it rhymes with uh, Smither. Oh, yeah. Okay. Never seen All it. Right. I don't know if it's good. It'd be a first time watch for me as well. Uh, Interesting. But yeah. OK, well, shoot. As for my plugs, I'd be honored if you you'd check out my solo cast horror corridor. Like Dave said, type that into your podcast catching app. Give it a try. I do what I can on that show to deliver a well-produced pseudo intellectual show. But hey, the party people is the judge. So check it out for yourself. I've been plugging away at my French horror episode. So hopefully I have that to you before long. As for the Watsy Party Horror Show here, be sure to check out the show notes of the episode where we'll have links posted of any articles and studies we might have used. The show wasn't research heavy, so there likely won't be much on that front, but you never know. Folks, we love your feedback, and you can find the show on social media in the following places. On Facebook, we've got a group page for the show that you can join. Just type in Watsy Party Horror Show and get in on the fun we have over there. Find us on Instagram by using... Uh, Oh man, all right. Here here's the deal. To be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I plan to devote too much time to an Instagram page. We still haven't made a single post on there yet, but who knows? <laughs> better to get in on the ground floor than to be left behind. I got I got to divide my time between the social media 
sites that I'm like, I'm feeling more comfortable with like Facebook and Twitter. And so and, oh, speaking of Twitter and lastly, we're, we're on Twitter. So follow us there. We're at Watsy Party, W-A-T-Z-E-E-P-A-R-T-Y because you got to, if I'm being honest, Twitter is probably my favorite right now. And if I had my way, the community would be there instead of Facebook. And listen, Facebook is definitely the best way to have lengthy conversations with, with us, which we love, but none of the YouTubers are bigger podcasters I know even use Facebook and that's kind of strange to me. I don't know. I, I'm not anti-social media by any stretch. I'm, I'm trying to plug social media right now, folks, but I do struggle with my relationship to it if I'm being completely honest with everybody. And I think Dave Z, you wouldn't even be on if it weren't for podcasting. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's why we're known to live in our own weird bubbles, I guess. So <laughs> yeah, people know us as uh, guys who live in our own bubbles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, right. Uh, lastly, hit us up by email if you want to be heard here on the show. The email address is watsypartyhorshow at gmail.com. That's W A T Z E E P A R T Y H O R R O R S H O W at gmail.com. I just got a message as we were reco- as we were recording, and Eric Webster from the Dark Discussions podcast apparently just sent us a uh, an audio file t- uh, of his feedback. So I can't wait to hear that. He's he's the man. One of my best friends in the podcasting world. So I uh, can't wait. That, that You'll hear that next show in September, my friends. Everybody, be sure to stay tuned after the outro music has played so you can hear Dave and I on our spoiler-filled discussion of We Are Still Here 2015. Well, folks, that concludes episode number four. I'm the Watt. Dave's the Z, and we thank you very much for attending our horror show. So please join the party and celebrate the genre with us. See you next time. It is now time for the What Z Party Horror Show After Party segment to commence. Okay, folks, if you're listening to this portion of the episode, that means you've either seen the film or else you don't mind the spoiler talk because that's what's happening. Consider yourself warned because it begins now. Dave Z, are there any talking points with which you'd like to begin, my friend? Because I've got something that I could start that might give a little bit of plot clarification, maybe? Hmm, well, if that's the case... Yeah, please do. Please start that. Okay. So this is... Uh, this, what I'm about to talk about, the bullet points I've got in front of me now, sort of, they, they encompass a little bit of confusion I have with the film, and but also highlight what I love about it too, with the sort of plot complexity. So let's talk about the dynamic going on between our various antagonists. So this dynamic, I see it, is threefold. Number one, we've got the malevolent spirits that occupy the house that Anne and Paul just moved into. These spirits are of the Dagmar family, the original owners of this house from the 1800s, and right off the bat we realize that these ghosts are not messing around. They're fully capable of physically harming people and outright outright killing people at will. Now, throughout the first two acts of the film, we're led to believe that these ghosts were once evil people who were run out of town by the villagers back in the mid-1800s. The story went that the Dagmars ran a funeral home, but instead of being straight up with their clients, they would sell the bodies elsewhere and bury empty coffins, which is why the town folk did what they did, like by running them out of town. But the dynamic uh, number two, our second group of antagonists happens to be the townspeople themselves. We find out in the second act, in the Larry Fessenden possession scene, that the Dagmars weren't actually bad people, and that they weren't actually run out of town. In fact, the villagers sacrificed them to the third and final antagonist in this film, and that would be number three, the ancient, unnamed being underneath the house itself. The townspeople have come to understand that every 30 years or so, this thing wakes up from its slumber, 
and demands a sacrifice. If it doesn't get what it wants, its evil will spread over the whole town. And so when we're thinking about what Paul and Anne have gotten themselves into by moving into this house, they're caught between these angry and malevolent spirits, the dangerous town people who are ready to sacrifice them, and also this thing underneath the house. Now, I think this is brilliant. My only dislike in this film that I couldn't say outright during Showtime was that I felt like the big baddie of this film, the thing under the house, needed just a little to do or else it needed a little more clarification. It was only mentioned in the film and never seen. And listen, I'm not wanting to physically see this thing, right? I don't need that type of, to quote the exorcist, vulgar display of power, if you will. I just felt like the film didn't hammer it into us that this thing is the real threat of the movie. The Dagmars and townspeople feel like the most immediate threats, while this ancient thing that seems to be the reason for all this killing sits in the background too silently. Uh, the character of Dave McCabe, the leader of the townspeople, the, the old guy Dave, does briefly mention that years back, I think in the 50s, if you look at the newspaper clippings at the end of the movie, back then, the evil didn't get what it wanted and the whole town suffered for it. You get most of that in the newspaper articles, like I said, at the end of the film, while the credits are rolling, just wanted to clarify that, it's right at the very end there, and I loved that, I really did. I guess I just wanted there to be something physical that could anchor us viewers to this mysterious thing rather than just us hearing about it all too briefly. Maybe bad things could start happening around the town already that signify that the sacrifice needs to happen or else worse things will happen. Maybe the Dagmar has taken a second or two during that seance scene where Larry Fessenden is possessed to reveal something about this thing. After all, they've apparently been doing the killing for it since their own sacrifice back in the mid-1800s, so I'm sure they have some intimate knowledge of what this thing is like, right? So to clarify here, uh, I know this is a lot, everybody, but uh, to clarify here, I'm not complaining about this, what, what, what the movie gave us necessarily. I just would have loved an additional 10 minutes or so that served to flesh out this elder god or whatever Lovecraftian thing it is so that we get a sense of the consequences of this thing not being fed. So, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's a big complaint of mine, but I did take off nearly a full point just for this lack of clarification, just something that I felt would have enhanced something that's already pretty damn good. I mean, am I making sense here with those observations, D Dave? Does that, d did you get that sort of antagonist dynamic, you know, these sort of three fronts that Anne and Paul are trapped between? You know, it almost seems as if something was said so quickly that I, I missed it. I remember something being said, but I didn't think that it weighed heavy on anything. I, I, I can't explain I don't know how to put that into words uh, any better than that. It, I, I, it was almost said in passing, and again, this could just be me. That's why I'm looking for explanations from you. Sure. So you may be right on with all of that. I just... So what you're telling me is that the, the Dagmars, they're not the ones responsible for um, what happens every 30 years. It's, it's not because of them. So when people come in the house and they get whacked, they're not really the ones doing it. It's someone else is doing it. They're doing it in service of this bigger thing that I presume either had, and this is where I think a little clarification might have been all right, but the Dagmars are, the, basically the townspeople have a deal with the Dagmars to, hey, since, we, since you got sacrificed to this thing back in the 1800s, 
This thing wakes up every 30 years, do the killing for us so the whole town doesn't have to have this evil, you know, befall it. And for whatever reason, the Dagmars are, I, I presume they're either trapped there or, you know, like spirits sometimes are, trapped at their location, or else they are doing it because they are worried about this bigger thing that's more powerful than they are. So th they're doing it not for themselves. They're not the thing that wakes up every 30 years. Presumably, they're probably chilling in that house all the time the, as a family, as a burnt-up-ass family, but... uh they were uh, the and see what you're talking about about a plot point being mentioned in passing is when Dave McCabe the the town the town's leader guy when they're in the house and a bunch of killing has happened in the third act there when the townspeople invade the the, the Dagmar house to kill Paul and Anne to sacrifice it to this thing he does say like why haven't you done your job already yes and and I do have a theory about that and so hopefully that might be able to help you about why because you did mention in the spoiler free in, in the Showtime section that you're not. I presume you meant you're not understanding why the Dagmars just didn't straight up act upon Paul and Anne right away. Right. Yeah. I have a I have a theory. Okay. All right. I I'm guessing it has to do with the, their child. Yes. Now you think they're taking pity on them, and and they and, and, and if if you are thinking that you if they are if they are just puppets of a greater evil, then how are they able to call those shots? Uh, which oh well, well okay here here's what I think uh, okay let, let me let me let me start it from here because I, I'm gonna address this but I'm going to start this sort of because I'm not disagreeing with your 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 take on it because I do think more clarification needed to be be involved here so I'll, I'll tell you which two characters I think got the shaft in this movie and it's the characters of Harry Lewis and his girlfriend Daniela. So at oh. the start of the film, folks, <laughs> yeah. we find out that, and this this involves about calling shots, like you're saying. When do the ghosts get to the call the shots, and why? So, uh, so I'll build up to that. So at the start of the film, we find out that Paul and Anne's adult son Bobby died in a car accident. Well, the Lewis family, Jacob, May, and Harry, are family friends who they haven't seen in a while. They're this hippie type spiritualist couple played by Larry Fessenden and Lisa Marie both horror icons in and of themselves, and Harry is their son who was roommates with Bobby in college. So in the second act of the film, all the older folks go out for an interesting night on the town to have dinner, which is a great scene in itself where they walk in that bar and everyone just stares at them silently, very very <laughs> much knowing that, hey, you're, wow, it's crazy you're in here because you're the lambs for our slaughter. <laughs> so, hello. But uh, so, so while they're out, Harry and his lady roll up to Paul's and Anne's house. You know, they pour themselves some whiskey, like like you, you gotta do. They help themselves. And then they're both murdered brutally by the Dagmar ghost. Harry gets it bad down in the basement, and Daniela, bless her heart, manages to get out of the house and down the road in the car when suddenly she gets a flaming arm through the back and out through her chest. Great kills, folks. The first yep. murders, I believe, that we see the Dagmars commit in the film. But think about it. Don't we later find out that the only reason that Dagmars, the Dagmars themselves didn't immediately sacrifice Paul and Anne to the thing under the house right after it woke up is because Bobby's spirit, I think, was protecting them. And so I know that in the third act, like I said, Dave McCabe, he's yelling at Dagmar. He's like, hey, yo, sorry your ass got murked back in the day, but he, but you've been doing a good job helping us keep this thing fed every 30 years, so why don't you ass smoke these fools already? So we're, I think we're meant to believe that Bobby did some intervening on his mom's and dad's behalf, but and so that that's the explanation I'm able to take to take because Bobby is there and I believe and, and this is where I wish a little more clarification had been put into the story that we have some examples of Bobby 
doing his own type of haunting in contrast to the Dagmar's haunting to show us that we have these. Oh, so, okay, I'll explain this a little better. But like, I, but I, I, back to f being focused here. What about Harry and Daniela, man? The Dagmar's straight up murdered the hell out of them in a bad way. So was Bobby not able to protect them? Like who made that call, I guess? And I'm sort of, I guess what I'm saying here is that I would have liked more clarification on the role Bobby played behind the scenes. If anything, I would have liked the scene where Harry and Daniela get killed to play out a little differently like this. Maybe they're drinking whiskey, about to get it on the couch, right? Just like, you know, they were going to do right before they get killed. But maybe a bunch of objects around the house could have started moving around. Things start flying around the room. They get thrown repeatedly toward the door. They're freaking out and drive the hell off, right? But as they're pulling out, maybe like Harry looks in the rearview mirror and thinks he sees Bobby. We don't, maybe we don't get to see what he sees, but they do and they go speeding off. I think handling the scene like that would have taken away those two amazing kills, yeah, but it would have helped us better, us viewers, differentiate between the different supernatural forces at work in that house. We've got the Dagmars who are the most visible, which is why it's so easy to believe they are the main antagonists of the film. We've got the thing that wakes up every 30 years and we've got Bobby. We've got these three supernatural forces in this house. The big thing I don't think really does anything, and I guess the whole goal is make sure we feed it so it doesn't do anything. And the Dagmar seem to be most doing most of the action, but I think the implication is that Bobby is protecting his parents at least. Why not Harry and Daniela? I, I don't know what, what's up with that. That's where a little bit of my points came off. It's just a bummer because at the end of the film when the townspeople get theirs, the Dagmars get their revenge and peace out. But even though we're supposed to sympathize with the Dagmars that they were wronged and never wanted to be sacrificed and never wanted to kill in the name of this elder god down below or whatever, the fact remains that they killed two innocent people, well, three if you count Larry Fessenden dying while being possessed, which is a great kill too, That's I love that scene. Oh, but yeah, the, the thing down below gets what it wants from all the townspeople. The Dagmars get what they want by getting revenge, Paul and Anne get what they want by getting into contact with their deceased son, and I, I do love that final scene where Paul looks down in the basement and says, hey Bobby, I thought that was heartwarming, but look, everyone gets yeah. the, what they want except the Lewis family. The, the, the three of them just get, and the girlfriend just get <laughs> offed, and it's a damn shame. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's, that's sort of where my mind is on it. I do believe Bobby was intervening at least for his parents, so what little power he had not necessarily against the Dagmars, because I don't know if the ghosts can hurt each other, but he, I bet you anything that it was him keeping them from killing his parents. I, I could see that, but I pose a question. Uh, everybody has dead relatives, so every family that's moved in their house, in that house, how come they didn't get spared by one of their relatives? Why, why does it have to be in this case? Oh, sure. I mean, I, maybe... Okay, I thought about that too, and the thing I kept thinking was that maybe Bobby came there with them because it was such a recent death. It had only been two months since his car accident. Yeah. And so I kind of I, I kind of was saying, like, maybe he's in the car with them when they move there. And he shows up, too. He basically, he came, he moved there with them. Like, not like he just opened a door in the air from wherever they were before and appeared here. I think he came there with them. So it was a bit of a unique circumstance where maybe the dead relatives of other families that had moved in that place before didn't weren't haunting that place as well and therefore didn't weren't working to protect that family to get sacrificed right and even then let's say let's say the dagmars did say tell bobby maybe they made a deal okay i'm, I'm not going to hurt your parents but let's just say the townspeople come and the dagmars maybe aren't pissed that day about it well that's the whole deal they wanted to get revenge on the town for killing them uh, even though it was like, you know, <laughs> back in the mid-1800s, but it's still the same town doing the same sort of sacrificing to people, or of people. 
uh, you know, I mean, the townspeople could easily have gotten Paul and Anne too. And so, yeah, I guess it's just, I guess it's just sort of, okay, maybe Bobby can only protect them on one front, but the townspeople still could have gotten them. And that could be the same thing for other families who have moved there. Like, no, the, the townspeople could be the ones doing the sacrificing. The Dagmars could be the ones. Um, I'm not sure. I think maybe the only reason the townspeople moved in in the first place in this movie, maybe they don't do that all the time, is because they felt like this sacrifice needs to happen now. There's a, a ticking clock going on. And that's what I think I would have liked a little more in the story. Like we start seeing a bunch of dead cattle or things start happening around the town where the old town's leader guy, Dave McCabe, is like, okay, almost like a town's meeting type thing in that bar. They're like, okay, we need to act fast because the Dagmars aren't doing their job. And we'd be like, wait, what's going on? I think that would have had the reveal hit a little harder. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think I'm still okay operating on the idea that Bobby was at least able to stand in the gap for his parents. But yeah, and, and that because it was such a recent haunting, a recent death, they were still attached to the family. It wasn't like it had been 10 years ago and his ghost comes out of nowhere. I think he came there with them. You know, that thought crossed my mind as well. I just, you know, I still had to pose the question because yeah, it's, it, I, I can accept that as a reason. You know, I don't know. I just, I'm not trying to pick on that. Sure. Uh, my basic thing was just, you know, why would there be a deal? Why, why would this thing make a deal? Because it's going to do what it wants anyway. It's this ancient evil. It's, it's, uh, to, to, to get into the whole Lovecraft thing, you know, it's yep. one of the elder gods, so to speak. You know, it's going to do what it wants to do. It doesn't need to make a deal. But again, that, I guess that's nitpicking the movie. And I'm not trying to do that. Uh, this one is actually a bigger one for me. My question here. Wait, wait, pa- pause that, Dave Z. I don't think the big thing did any kind of deal making. I think it's waking up. It's groggy. It's gonna. It's gonna do what it's gonna do. If it doesn't, you know, it's gonna do the like bad things for the whole town. If it doesn't get fed, and it will relax if it does get fed. I think it was Bobby and the Dagmars who made a deal to hold off on the sacrifices, which is what worried the townspeople. I think this bigger thing is just chilling and it's it's its own thing in everybody's periphery and i think it's not involved necessarily in what dagmar what the dagmars the townspeople and what bobby were up to as far as the dynamics of the timeliness of the sacrifice of like paul and Anne. so i think this thing is just a, a, a its own thing off to the side it's the big bad that you don't want to have it interfere and mm-hmm. fortunately in this movie it doesn't so I don't think it's making any deals I think it's strictly the Dagmars who have a deal with it well not really a deal with it a deal with the townspeople sacrifice this thing sacrifice whoever comes in this house every 30 years to keep it asleep and everything's cool and Dave McCabe even does say the the old town's leader guy does say that I think something to the effect of you've done good work since you were sacrificed back in you know in the mid 1800s so yeah just wanted to clarify before you go into your next thing that I think this other thing this big elder god thing's not making deals. It's everybody else. Okay, you know what? Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, it's okay. its own entity. Makes yeah, sense. it's just it's it's this periphery. It's this thing off off to the side in the corner of your eye, and which which is I have a little bit of beef with. I would have liked to see because we do see in those town those newspaper clippings while the credits are rolling. Oh, dead uh, dead cattle, drought, these sorts of things. So we're supposed to go. Oh, this big thing really can affect things on a massive level if it doesn't get what it wants and I would have liked to see a little more urgency to the fact that okay these this towns these townspeople their hand is forced to act 
and moot and go to that house to kill them themselves since the Dagmars won't do it. And I would have liked to see a little more there, a little more of a clash between the townspeople and the Dagmars going like, why aren't you doing this? You know what'll happen if you don't. It's already starting to happen. Come on. And maybe the Dagmars are like, good, let it happen. And you know, and they're just like, what? We got to do it ourselves. I would have liked a little more of that to just clarify it for viewers. I think not to hold your hand too much, but just to reinforce. And there's that fine line. But anyway, yeah, so I, I hope that clarifies yeah, anything for you that I don't think this thing is making deals. So, yeah, Dave, go on to your bigger point, though. I'm sorry to, to have interrupted. No, no, that's okay. No, I, I dig that. That helps. And, yeah, I, I can see that. You know what I just realized when you were talking? Uh, to hear the names together said that way, but I didn't pick up on it as I'm watching the film. But I believe that's a, um, that is a tribute to, uh, to Halloween, uh, Paul and Anne. Because uh, the, the couple on Halloween, Paul and Annie. Oh, okay. Hey. Just a little I thing, like that. you know? Everything goes back to Halloween 78 with me. As lot, it should. So. As it should. <laughs> you know? So I, I think that was done intentionally. Okay. Now, this is something that... I, why the hell are the townspeople staying there? Why... Why don't they just leave? Would you live there knowing this? Why even put yourself in jeopardy? My man, that is a that is a fan. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, if my small town, I live in a rural town out here in 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 the Pacific Northwest in Washington, just outside of Olympia, Washington, and I know that if there were a curse going on in my small town, and you know, it's every thirty years, you know, it's like uh oh, this thing again, and then you got to be complicit in possible murder maybe i'm the head of the townspeople and i'm just like all right i gotta go talk to the ghost of this house who maybe my grandfather sacrificed 100 you know 50 years ago make sure they're doing their job to kill this family who just moved there or we got to do it ourselves i don't think that's a responsibility i really want on my hands because unless this thing is like a on a global scale to where this single entity underneath that house can destroy everything then i guess i'd be like well all right, I guess I'll, I'll stay here to make sure things happen. But other than that, if it's just the town, <laughs> I'm getting out of there, man. <laughs> right. I, I, there's I, there's no reason for them to be there. It's not like there's something special about that town. There's nothing good. It's not like they're all rich or all the water makes them feel like they're drinking wine oh, or something you, like that. Dave Z, that right there would have been brilliant if there were a perk to living in this right. town that while, because of the fact that this thing sleeps under the town, maybe it's imbued the land with a certain fertility or, you know, certain riches or gold or something where this town is, even though it's small, super prosperous and no one living there is struggling because of this thing. But in exchange for that, every 30 years, they got to feed it. That right there, right. That, that sort of sort of give and take, that sort of Faustian type narrative, uh, you know, even though it's, you know, not in a Christian context, more of a Lovecraftian context would have been... Another thing that if an extra 10 minutes to fill in these little holes, this movie would be near perfect. And I already love it. A 9.25 for me is great, but as top yeah. notch. But but I, I got to say, you just like if that had been in there, what you just said, who I, I would have liked that for there to be a trade off, because of course you'd leave. If yeah. you knew that some ancient being were underneath, you know, the house down the street, I'm not living near that house down the street. <laughs> no, think about all they have. Everybody is aware of it. It's a big deal. I, and check it out. Why was that guy killing people? Why did that Dave guy shoot the girl when she answered the door at the bar? What am I not getting here? Yeah, because presumably they said she was the new girl. So the only because on my third watch, I really caught that. I, I wasn't I really didn't pay attention to it my first two watches on this most recent watch. He said something about uh, or she the, the, the main uh, bar owner said, you know, shouldn't have had the new girl answer the door. 
And it's like, well, yeah. just send her home. I mean, like, presumably you guys are going to have a meeting at the bar in the middle of the night to talk about to talk about what? Okay, hey, we got to feed this thing because the Dagmars aren't doing their job. Okay, I get that. You know, they're, they're not killing the family in that house. So we got it. We might have to do this ourselves. I get that's the urgency. I like that plot point. But killing the waitress, it's like, okay, maybe, okay, sure, she is the new girl. But, and maybe she's so new, she, maybe she's from a neighboring town, doesn't know, you know, what, uh, you know, what goes on in this town, but just like rudely ask her to get the, get the hell out and then conduct your business. Yeah. Why'd she get shot? I, I, I mean, the, the, the idea of her hearing too much, I don't think that's going to be a worry. This girl, it's late. I, I, I frequent bars and one of my favorite homies is the bartender at the bar down the street from my house at work at night. She wants to get right home. You know, she's going to be like, oh, okay. If you guys are here, I'm out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I guess the, yeah, I, that is the, I have no answer to that. I, I, I really don't. I don't have an answer to why. McCabe would want to just gun down this way just I like that he did it it's bold and brash but it's like when you really think about the motivation it, do it doesn't make any sense that I can think of you know as opposed to just saying hey girl get out hey I work here I'm not done with my shift get out that would have been just better <laughs> than you know yeah it would have been better because what's the reason to do that well whatever yeah whatever. I, you know just kill somebody for no reason why would she have come this far you know what I mean? If they didn't want her in town, I don't know. Yeah, there, there could have been a scene where maybe the new waitress is helping out the, you know, Paul and Anne and Larry, and, and Larry Fessenden and his wife while they're having dinner and they're having that strange dinner where the townspeople are, you know, looking at him. And all she'd have to say is like, yeah, the townspeople treat me like this too since I'm from, you know, some neighboring town over. Yeah, you, this is a town you don't really break into. I've lived here a few years and they still don't even like me. I'd be like, okay, I could see that this town has its, its you know, sort of like New England, oh, like New England, you know, if you read a lot of Stephen King books or New England authors, when they start describing sm the small towns up there, you do get the feeling that locals are locals. They're the people you want there. Anyone else is an outsider, which I sort of love about the Northwest because, you know, the small towns I'm from out here, you know, any, any newcomer can walk into one of the bars where all the regulars are and no one cares. It's like, hey, the more the merrier. You know, we might have the, the, the Pacific Northwest sort of cold thing going on where we're maybe not as polite as we could be because we're all depressed. But, <laughs> but uh, hey, we're, we, we welcome you. Yeah, come on and have a drink. <laughs> not like the New Englanders where they're like, like, uh, we, we don't like, like outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, good point, Dave Z. I don't have a ready answer for that except maybe... It's an extreme example meant to to solidify the idea that this town people, these townspeople, keep to themselves and want their secrets in house. I don't like the way they go about that. Never thought about it. Good, good observation, man. Very astute. Thanks. I wish they could have even said maybe even there were, there was two there was two things they could have done. One, shown reason why they stay because they're being enticed with something. Yes. Or B, maybe they can't leave and maybe there will be a good reason. Maybe they could show it somehow. Like anyone that's left was stricken with the disease oh, or something. That you know? would be amazing if you see like a family trying to leave at the beginning and that Dave McCabe guy shows up. You know you can't go. And, you know, if you're just starting yes. the movie, you're just like, you are you know, if it's your first time viewing, you're like, what? Why, why can't people just move away? You know it won't let you. Huh? And then... You know, oh man, like that, Dave Z. Dang, we're 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 making this movie better. I mean, like, and, and this is a good movie. Right. This is a good <laughs> template. Of, and listen, I mean, you know, it's so hard to make a movie and say everything you want to say. I'm sure there were things on the cutting room floor that maybe did solidify things, or maybe added a little bit more to the the mythos of the town. But yeah, if you could establish why people can't leave, or the fact that if they don't feed this thing, it'll not just affect the town, but affect 
maybe everywhere. So they have basically the weight of the world on their shoulders. Just every 30 years, somebody kill a few people in this house and everything goes as plans. We're saving the world every 30 years. We don't mean to do these bad things, but we gotta. It, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> then, then, yeah. Or else, what? Yeah, what you said, which I, I kind of like better. You know, you can't, you can't leave. It won't let you. You're born here. You're here. You stayed here too long. You tasted the fertility of what this thing can offer while it's sleeping. It's awake now. It won't let you go. Like I, I man, I like that. Yeah. I really like that. But uh, unless there's anything else, let's uh, let's let, let's go to something that we really like about this and it's that um that third act and uh what did you think of that man when you first saw this did you think this haunted house film would go that way did you think there would be such a high body count and such carnage (laughs) because i was no no way was i expecting expecting that no that was great and that's just it you you never see ghosts that actually kill like in, in that way you know, yep. sometimes you see a ghost that kill in like the Juan movies and things like that. But most of the time, when you watch ghosts, ghost movies, when you see haunting in, in movies, you you don't really see the type of threat that you see from any other antagonist in any other horror movie. You just you don't exactly. It, it, yeah, the, the subgenre of, of you know of ghost slash hauntings, it does it doesn't usually work that way. That's what's great about this. That's what I was trying to say before but wasn't unable was couldn't say it without spoiling but these are ghosts that almost kill the way a slasher yes. would or you know or the way you know a supernatural force like something that manifests itself in you know in the physical realm but yes in a different way you know oh, what yeah. i mean so that's what's so special about this is it's such a simple concept and you don't see it and and there you go but then you know, like you said, when we get to the third act and, and, you know, shit hits the fan. Yeah, that's that stuff's great. That that's that's what made me not. I didn't think about any of the questions I had uh, about why this and why that that I was thinking earlier kind of went out the door. And I was just kind of along along for the ride for the third act. And that stuff was great. Oh, yeah. Well, it's 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 a it's a damn good ride because I, I mean, th- just some of the kills we get where the, the man is pulled into the stairs and burning up as the as the ghosts are pulling him through, you know, th- through the through. I, I don't know, maybe some supernatural portal. You know, he's sinking into the stairs and just burning up. And the, the you know, when they shove their arms, you know, they're burning arms because their touch, we find folks can burn burn the skin right off you so you don't want to be touched by these ghosts and they're burying their arms in people's heads and their <laughs> people are you know there, there's a really good shotgun uh, head explosion that that kills Larry Fessenden's wife when she tries to leave d- right after the possession scene Larry Fessenden kills himself she tries to go out the door and there's the townspeople right there saying like alright this sacrifice hasn't happened yet we gotta make this happen now you forced our hand Dagmars we're doing this and he blows her head off with the shotgun and you're just like oh wait I thought the ghosts were what we're supposed to fear here, and we know these townspeople got something going on. We don't know what yet, and yeah, we come to find out, okay, they're going to make this happen. Well, the Dagmars are like, okay, we've been waiting for some revenge from this town, or on this town, and then, you know, like, we got the scene where, and they start killing, and then we got the scene where Barbara Crampton stabs, like, four knives into the bartender lady's neck. (laughs) Blood, arterial blood, just pss, pss, pss. Oh, and that's, dude, did you notice that was all Freddy callbacks at the same time? Oh, I did not. There was... Tell it. Oh, yes, the stairs, things. the stairs. Yeah, I noticed that. Yes, the stairs were right before the way she held up the four knives. They were. They looked like, you know what the I'm saying? The hand claws. They looked like Freddy's glove. 
Yes, followed immediately by the stairs. Yes, yeah, yeah okay, good, good eye. I think I did catch the staircase when I, I didn't think of the four knives. I remember thinking it peculiar that she's just holding, like, four knives in her hand, like, I'll stab. One knife could stab. What can four knives do? But then, hey, they hit their mark, and she she murks that fool. And so that was great. And I just I like the idea. And you know, I know we were talking about our questions and things we wanted clarified, but just kind of keeping it back to you know to, to at least something I greatly appreciate about this film is that when you really think about it on paper, the level, the threat levels of things in this film is all just straight through the roof. I mean, the if it's if this were just a home invasion movie, taking out the ghost or the th- or the elder god thing, you know, th- th- those townspeople meant business. They're gonna murder these two pe- these two people. They're gonna well four people, but Larry Fessenden already killed himself under uh, Dagmar's you know p- possessed uh, motions, and then of course you know uh, the the wife May gets her head blown off. But they're gonna go kill whoever's in the house. And the Dagmars, we've seen that they can kill this thing under the house if it doesn't get what it wants. It'll kill everybody. So I love the threat level when you really think about it that. It's not just threat level, just these bad ghosts, which is what normal haunted house movies have for you. And it's just, here's this spirit, and there's, but we have something that's over them. We have something that's kind of on par with them in the townspeople. I love the threats on multiple fronts. I think that's smart writing, and it makes it engaging. Now, of course, we, we, we talked about clarification. Here's one thing that piggybacks off something you said earlier. Are we to believe that Paul and Anne stayed in that house after everything that happened? Yeah, I mean, did you happen to catch the post credit scene? It's a little quickie. It's 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 their, their house all clean and ordered again, and then Bobby, who's invisible, hits a piano key, and then the credit and then the credits end. Yeah, that was the changeling. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You said that before. And so I'm not sure if that's maybe a clip from the middle of the film before everything went to hell. But are we to believe that they stayed in the house after all that happened? I mean, exactly how many people were brutally murdered in that house right in front of them? How many of the townspeople did they have to kill themselves? And speaking of townsfolk, after something like that goes down in such a small place, it's not like you can just walk into the local bar or grocery store and no one knows what happened. You know, okay, maybe the cops are maybe the cops are in on it and none of it gets reported. I'm fine with that. But you're telling me that they're going to feel comfortable in that town after they were nearly murdered? Also, let's not gloss over the fact that there's still this ancient thing this ancient being, this god, this thing that can affect the 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 physical world, at least in in the confines of the town. It's underneath that house, chilling. I can't see that being helpful when you're trying to get a good night's sleep. So if I'd survived all that, if my town tried to murder me, if my son's ghost were just chilling, if I had knowledge that not only are there ghosts in the world, but there are powerful beings that are evil and can mess things up on a large scale, I would be moving far away from that place. So <laughs> I don't know. Are we? I'll tell you what, buddy. Coming for me, this is going to be weird because I've questioned everything. Okay. But I am more accepting of that because for the simple reason of Bobby being in that house okay. and maybe an open line of communication where he explains the 30-year thing okay. and, or maybe they got the information from someone else. Basically, the fact that Bobby is residing in that house and they know that you know in 30 years they may or may not be around sure. anymore. They're not going to sweat it. And... That's what I think. They're close to their son, and that has a lot to do with it. I, I can I can buy that. I, I guess the the townspeople thing would worry me because you know I'm a man about town, Dave Z. I, I go out, I I chill, I go I, I go do my thing. And if I if if the people of my my city had you know tried to murder me, and we we sort of all know what's going on, my hope would be we'd have a mutual understanding. I, I walk up to the bar, I'm like, hey, you know, throw me a double double jack on the rocks, and the bartender girl looks at me like, oh, you, and I'm like, yeah, I know you came to the house, you tried to kill me, and you know I get why you did it. Uh, just Let's not. Let's make sure it never happens again. And <laughs> now hand me that drink. And by the way, I drink here for free. 
Nice. There, <laughs> there you we go. go. Now I can justify it. I'm, I'm not even joking. No, I like that, Dave, because if you did know that your your son, you know, or your, your child were in that house with you, it that would definitely help me come to terms with a lot of things, the grief, maybe my own thoughts about the afterlife and what I think about that, my faith in 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 in, in that whole supernatural realm and, and just the logistics of that. Maybe I'll be joining him one day and hopefully we can peace out and we're not stuck there. Uh, you know, I'd be but I'd be asking questions and be like, okay, so if we move, can you come with us or are you bound to the house now? And if you can leave, uh, presumably because you, you, you came from where we were here, could we go back and you come with and we don't got to worry about this? I, I don't know. I, these are questions I'd be asking my, my, my ghost kid. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be having a talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah no doubt about it. <laughs> no, yes. no. That, that's awesome. Uh, well, Dave Z, uh, party people, that's all I've got to say. Have, have you anything else, buddy? No, you know what? I, I think I'm mentally exhausted from, from thinking about everything that we've unpacked in this movie. No, right right on, yeah. <laughs> well, well, folks, yeah, we, we'd love to know your thoughts. Well, I already did ask your thoughts about We Are Still Here on the Facebook page, but if you would like to talk about any any points that we brought up, any, did, did it help maybe any, you see, get any clarification on something? Did, did we maybe ruin the film for you by bringing in a little, uh, making it a bit too complex? Because, uh, folks, what, what the, the trick this film pulls is that it's a lot more complex than you think. And when you start talking about it and thinking, wait, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Well, there's a lot going on here. It can, it can feel like a bit of a mind F, and I think that's what we're feeling right now, so we'll, we'll, we'll get out while the going's good. So thank you very much, everyone, for chilling at the party for our fourth time. We'll see you in September. <laughs> nice, great song. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> see you in September. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good shit.